This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. The hottest view in the territory is Rich Crange versus Xfinity. But, uh, yeah, no, you uh, they're doing it on purpose. It's the same day of the week and the same time of the same day of the week every week. They yeah. know that you're okay, using Okay, so apparently nobody of- was able to hear me, but now they can hear me. Sorry to interrupt, but can you people hear me now? The live stream people can hear me. Apparently you were having a one-sided conversation there, so. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, maybe <laughs> you can talk and I could repeat your lines. And I like say it. What I have yeah, I like it. That's not bad. That'll that'll flow smoothly all night. Um, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, and they're clearly look. They're they're slowing down your internet on purpose on Thursdays. You know, from seven to eleven, they're doing it on purpose. So, um, I think there's no doubt about it. So you call Seth them out Rollins, on it. Seth Rollins has to be a part of this somehow. Yeah, I've called n- numerous people on it, and um, yeah, <laughs> the Xfinity technicians they probably know me by name now when uh. Old Rich Crates pops up on their chat feed or their phone line. They go, oh, God, here we go. Give me a different, yeah. Get a different guy. Get the new kid on there. So the new kid has to run over. Hello, sir. How are you? How can I assist you today? And then I'm just right into fucking conspiracy theories right off the bat. So, well. It's just very suspicious. Very suspicious. Months. Months worked here. It worked fine. Like, people don't even know. Before we went live, before I even told Joe... We can go live with this, and I have no problem doing this. We how many how many months did we record these unlisted without sending the link out? We did these just so I could make sure that everything was fine. Like literally, like four or five months, I think. We've been using this method for many months. It was just not going out live to anyone, but it was being broadcast live. Just yeah. no one had the link, so you know. I so, wanted to make sure, Joe. I wanted to make sure yeah. that I could do this because you said, "Is this a possibility?" And I said, "Yes." But let me make sure. Let me make sure we can do this before we take people's money or before we do anything like that. I want to make sure this is going to work. And so we did it for four or five months. We launched the live, and it was fine. I mean, when did we launch the live? Like March, April, right? Somewhere around there? Early COVID. Yeah. We've been fine. No problems. Somewhere around, like maybe the week before COVID something or something. like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because we did get a lot of people that got very upset at us that we launched a new tier during COVID, which... They're like, I don't have a job anymore. You're launching a tier during COVID, and Joe is like, well, I don't have a job either. Maybe, like, yeah. How do you know I? How do you know <laughs> right? I don't? Know well, Scrooge McDuck over here, you know what I mean, Mister Monopoly Man Joe Lands over here, going, ha ha ha, global pandemic time to launch. A new yeah, streaming I mean, service. How, how, how do they know I don't need the money? <laughs> well, you're in the very stable during COVID restaurant business. <laughs> yes, the dining, the booming dining restaurant business, which is is just exactly. flourishing yeah. right now. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but but the the whole thing about that too was, it's not like we increased our price. That that didn't happen. Anyone who was on the five dollar tier is getting exactly what they were getting. 
before now on the $5 tier. They've lost nothing. We added a new tier. So if we weren't shaking anyone down or, 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 or charging anybody more money, the new tier was an opt-in. You know what I mean? So it's like that, that, those complaints. And it, look, I don't want to make it out like it was a million people. What was it, like one or no, two people? No, it was like three people. Who, yeah, it was like three people at most. So. Yeah, who like canceled entirely because they claimed we were being unethical during a pandemic. We shaking that's, them down. We were holding them upside down and shaking them to get their change. That, that's what everybody – that's the default now. When, when people are upset with something – during a pandemic. Yeah, like, which, by the way, as I said, we had been basically planning it and getting it ready for, I swear, last summer you told me, Rich, we gotta do, we're got to do. we going to do a $10 tier. Can we go live? Can we do this? And, I, and, and, and yeah, I, I basically set it all up and said, let's run it for a few months to make sure it's stable, make sure we can handle it, make sure we can do it, and then we can go live. So, yeah, the idea that, like, the pandemic hit and we were like, ah, ha, ha, <laughs> like, now I've got it <laughs> as we, yeah. you know, <laughs> curl our mustaches. Ah, ha, I know how to get five more dollars out of these morons <laughs> like, and i stress again it was not a price increase right it was the addition of a new tier with entirely new uh content which was not available on the five dollar tier so um but yeah it, 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 it wasn't a ton of people though it wasn't you know it was just a few you're always gonna have a few what can you do you yeah. can't make everybody happy no no you know never. it's impossible to make everybody happy um so i guess we're good for right now uh for the ten dollar subscribers listening hello welcome um i think we're good for now i don't know what happened they sent an advanced signal joe that's what the last thing was is we're gonna send you an advanced signal you should send them you should you should send them an advanced signal yeah, that you're pick, switching, yeah. switching isps right the problem is they have a monopoly in this area so there's not really another ip isp for uh for me to do so there's AT&T, I, but every time I try to use the uh, – I've tried to use that before to, like, get my cable bill low, and they always call my bluff. They're like, you're really going to switch to AT&T? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> AT&T cable is so bad, and they know it's bad, and the guy's like, I mean, okay. And I'm like, I mean, if you can lower my price, I'll stick with you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They, he calls they call my, your he bluff. He calls my and bluff, and I, I can't get off the line. But he's like, look, I, one button, and I can cancel you. You, you can go to AT&T. And I'm like – that that's the same. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> that happens to me too. I have the worst luck with that because everybody says, because like NFL Sunday ticket is like four hundred and fifty dollars or something. It's outrageous and it goes up every year. It's outrageous, and everybody's like, "All you gotta do is call them up and threaten to cancel the Sunday ticket, and they'll either give it to you for free or they'll take like two or three hundred dollars off." Rich, I try that every year. <laughs> And every year, the person I'm on the line with goes, okay, I'm going to transfer you over to cancellations, and we're going to get that taken care of. And I'm like, I, I, I like, panic, and I hang up. Yeah. Oh, don't you don't want to watch the Rams. Game. That's fine. No problem, sir. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> like... I, and then I panic and hang up because it, it's like I don't really want to cancel. I'm just trying to run the scam, and it never works for me. And then everybody – like everyone else in my life claims that this works. Yeah, I've like, heard I'm that about uh, Sirius as well. I try to I try to uh, hang that over Sirius because people are like, oh, you just tell Sirius, you, you know, that you did the trial and that you want to, you know, get it for free or whatever. And they'll give it to you for free. And I tried that. And they were just like, all right, cool. We don't need you. <laughs> like, fine. All right. Like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, well, your trial expired. So thank you for your time, sir. And I'm like, oh, all right. They hung up on me. I was like, oh, okay. Sorry to see you go, sir. And that's that. <laughs> yeah. Man. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Um. But yeah, so yeah, that happened to me a few years ago. We only—I only had one internet option. That's the only option I had, and they were terrible, as you recall. Oh God, yes, um, yeah. Oh Jesus, they were horrendous. I had to have everything hardwired in the house, otherwise it just—it just flat out would not work. 
So I was running Ethernet cables into like 19 different rooms right. just to get, you know, to get to get things to work. And then finally, when isn't it funny? As soon as there was some competition, everybody, you know, the service improved magically overnight. Mm, up the game, yeah, but, weird, uh, weird. But I, I switched anyway because you got it at that point. Like, no, you're not going to run your scam on me now and improve your service because there's competition. I'm going with the competition. And now, you know, it works like a charm. So, um, I don't know. You, you you might have to switch over to the AT&T and get their shitty cable. Yeah. You probably – you you strike me, though, as a bundle guy. You're a bundle oh, guy, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I knew it. So, you've got the whole – it would be a whole rigmarole. Yeah. Oh, it would be a, such a pain in the ass to switch over. And they, and they know that, too. They got me. Yeah. Because once you get that bundle, you know – now you gotta, now you gotta, uh, you know, uh, change everything in your life, and it just, it's, it's almost not worth the trouble at that point. But um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd consider it. I think maybe you call them up and you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, this time you're not bluffing, and you tell them to come and get their shitty equipment, and uh, and you switch to the AT and T. How much worse can the cable be? I mean. You're not an extravagant man. You don't get all the channels. What's the difference? Oh yeah, no, I I, I have nothing. I have not much. If it wasn't for sports, I'd probably launch cable right, you know, tomorrow. But sports, you know, well, <laughs> like, you, you, you need that marquee for your Cubs games. Oh yes. Oh god. Yeah, I gotta pay forty more cents a month in my fucking cable bill so I get the marquee network. For sure. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've looked into the other things, but it's like, you know, and, and this happened, I think, not that long ago with YouTube TV, where like it was an affordable thing for a little bit, and then you know. Slowly but surely, that raise, raise, raise. Now they like did an exorbitant raise, and people are just like, eventually, it's going to be way cheaper just to have cable, which is what I predict. That's why I never left. Ca- you know, everybody co- cut their yeah. cords and all that sort yeah. of. Oh, I'll get YouTube TV, and then I'll get Apple TV, and then I'll get Hulu and Netflix and and WWE Network, and then they look at it like, wait a minute, it's like two hundred dollars. Like I should just get cable, yeah. and that's what I do. I just sit on my fucking couch and hit two buttons, and shit comes up and plays, and that's just easier. Yeah, and you fuck get all around the my Roku remotes and shit. You know. I, I like tech yeah. stuff. I like having Chromecast and that sort of stuff, but you know, it's just yeah. Eventually, you get all the a la carte, and it costs more than the cable cost. And then it's like, like you're saying, and it's almost cheaper just to have a basic cable package than to have 19 different a la carte services. And that was always what this was going to evolve to, because it all got splintered. Because everybody wants to have their own. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it, it's it's. To get everything, now you're paying for 19 different things. Right. So, uh, you are correct, sir. Well, hey, we're back. Um, we're here. We're streaming. We're live. We're talking wrestling. I don't know how much longer, but we're here. So, well, let's do this uh, breaking news out of AEW with the uh, mysterious removal of five pieces of talent. From the roster page of their horrendous website, does that website does that website still stink? Oh, it's it's it's, it's terrible. Yeah, it, it's as close. I think only Impact is worse, but AEW's is is completely laughable for for a major company. It's unbelievable. Okay, so we've got uh, Jimmy Havoc, B Priestley, Sadie Gibbs, T Hawk, and L Lindeman. Oh, Tom Hawk TT is gone. Have been removed from the. Uh, from the AEW roster page website. Now, Jimmy Havoc, obviously, um, his situation, if you are an everything elite subscriber to their Patreon, they broke the story a month ago. 
And it's incredible how everybody's so clueless. Because not only did they break the story a month ago, we reiterated it on the flagship uh, like a week later. Jimmy Havoc quietly retired. So, look, he was never going to wrestle for the company again regardless. And him retiring is kind of it's, – it's sort of the old when a, when a like an NBA head coach or something – uh, gets fired, but they let him resign instead. Like that's kind of what. Right, we're going to fire you. So decide how you want to play this up. If you, you know, decide how you want to control your own narrative here. But we're letting you go, and you're never wrestling for us again. So yeah, Jimmy Havoc was never wrestling for AEW again. But um, either way, but he quietly retired. I have no idea if he's still in AEW's uh, sponsored rehab that they sent him to or not. I have no clue. But uh, he did quietly retire, as reported by Everything Elite. Uh, So that's the reason he was removed. We know that for a fact. As for the other four, I have reached out to multiple sources within AEW. The problem is they're taping as we speak. They're taping the episode of Dynamite that's airing on Saturday the, I want to say the 22nd. Yeah, yeah, correct. That's the one for, for next weekend. So it's hard to get answers out of people. It's hard even to get people to respond. But so at this point, all we can do is speculate. So for the people who listen to this on demand uh, a few days from now, maybe well, they, you know, they'll already know why these people were removed from the website and presumably no longer with the company. My personal speculation is that we're right around one year here. And it would make a lot of sense that these contracts have come up. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of re-signing people who are stuck overseas who you cannot bring to the United States anyway for the foreseeable future? So why re-sign them and continue paying them when their contracts come due? Because these people, they've kept everyone under contract this entire time and have been paying everyone, whether they're coming to work or not, the people that were under contract. But if the contracts are up, I wouldn't re-sign them either. I mean, there's no point because... They don't know who knows how long this is going to go on. Right, right, know. right. They're, they're, the, the, all the wrestlers that were, you know, whatever, released, let go, whatever the verbiage uh, that was used. I, I know it's it's there's some contention right now with the verbiage uh, used, but well, that's yeah. what we're trying to find out. Exactly what, right. Were they were they all get? But you look at the names, and it's pretty easy to tell, except for Jimmy. H- I mean, Jimmy Havoc is also with these people but also for other you know what i mean like but you put a collection of all these names together and you think about okay well what what would preclude or, or why would they make the decision for this collection of talent these collection of people and it pretty much relates to well they're not they might never they might not be able to get in the country for the remainder of this year i think pretty safely we could say all of 2020 yeah. they're not coming back and god only knows 2021 when Tomahawk TT can come to America until Sadie Gibbs can come to America or whatever. Jimmy Havoc, we know, you know, was able to come to America because he was wrestling here, you know, even during the COVID era, but he's obviously a different case. But, but, you know, he, you know, I think he, there's also the idea too, is that if he does ever go back, that like, if he ever went back home, that he would never be able to come back either, or at least not come back for a while. So that's my read on it is, is those names all have one thing in common. And the one thing say for Jimmy Havoc is that they can't get in the country for X amount of time. And if their contracts are up or, or or there was renewal due, it it only makes business sense to say, guys, look, you know, we'd love to pay you for another year or two or whatever, but like it's just not financially responsible for us to pay, you know, El Lindeman for another year when we know that we're not going to get anything from him in this year. Yeah, and, and again, that's that's pure speculation. Yeah, yeah, we we have now, no clue. They they could have released them. 
they could have released all of them or some of them. Um, we don't know. If they did release them, these would be the first releases, known releases, in all of wrestling outside of WWE during COVID. I, I don't think there's been another known release of a contracted talent in the world outside of WWE. Right. There was until, the NWA thing where, hey, here's a new contract, sign it or not, but that wasn't a quote Those aren't release. releases. Right, the, right. Yeah. Listen, contracts coming due. That's just a contract running out. That's not a release. That's Sadie Gibbs on her Twitter or on Facebook on some sort of social media told a fan that she was released. Okay? So the possibility exists. Now, she might just not be using the proper verbiage because the verbiage might not be important to her. She might have gotten a phone call today saying, hey, your contract's up. We don't know when you can get back here anyway, so we're just letting the contract run out. And we're not offering you a renewal right now. And she might be calling that a release. Or they may have called her and said, hey, we don't know when you're about back in the country. You have X amount of time on your deal, but we're releasing you. We don't know. We're trying to find out. They're in the middle of a taping, and we can't get a straight answer. Um, so, you know, I'm sure by the end of the week, you know, our outlet, other news outlets, will get to the bottom of this. It's really just, look, it, it's semantics. These five people are done with the company, or so it appears. The question is why, and what are, is the reason? Um, you know, and, and I'm interested in the reason because to me there is a difference. There's a difference between contracts running out and we're starting to cut people who we don't feel like we're going to get back in here. Um, that's different to me. So uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait it out. If we get an answer during the course of the show, obviously we will pass it on. But, um, you know, obviously some of the people we reach out to are very busy right now. So, uh, you know, they're running a wrestling show. So, uh, you know, getting back to Dopey Joe Lanza as to why Sadie Gibbs is <laughs> right. a Stop the anymore. taping. We yeah. must respond to this DM. <laughs> like, you know. Right. That's, you know, that's not the top priority. So <laughs> right. um, they're in gorilla. Like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to respond to this. Yeah. Get a DM so, from the one and only King of Banter, Joe Lanza. Although, you know, that might, that might happen. We don't, you know. We've got someone in the chat saying that Meltzer's reporting that these are releases. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, but but the point here is those four people are gone. And, again, Havoc was a different deal. I, he was he was never coming yeah, back. Yeah, that anyway. was that. Yeah. That um, could have been a, a, a – yeah, that, that was done. <laughs> that was never coming back. So, yeah, don't – he's in the same, you know, group as these people, but he is a different – to me, a, a completely different animal. It's but, a completely different animal. Right. Yeah. It's uh, – um, you know, there. You know, and there, there's people saying that maybe B. Priestley was a victim of speaking out. I don't buy that for one second. No, I, don't I, I don't. I don't buy that for one second. I don't. The th- there's a lot of people who think, seem to think that Will Ospreay and B. Priestley are going to be punished, and I think they're all going to be disappointed. I don't think B. Priestley and Will Ospreay are going to be punished by anybody for uh, their the the their piece of the speaking out allegations. Um, I guess maybe we could talk more about that when we talk about RevPro uh, later in the show. But um, you know, I, I, the week you were gone, I told people – I don't remember. I guess it was behind the paywall because I didn't do a flagship proper. Be prepared for many of the people accused of things to skate. That's just the reality of it. Um, look, a lot of careers are over and rightfully so. But some of these guys and girls, I suppose – uh, we're not going to suffer 
career-ending consequences or even many consequences or any consequences at all. And I told people you had to be prepared for that. No matter where you stood on any of this, what you thought should happen to people, one of the things I stressed that week was be prepared for people to skate. Some of them will. Um, if there's allegations that are sketchy or that, that can't stick or these people lawyer up, whatever the reasons may be. Look, Velveteen Dream just is, was on TV yesterday. Right. yeah. Okay, so, you know, uh, Matt Riddle, nothing is going to happen to Matt Riddle. Yeah, he didn't even miss a, he didn't even miss a week, right? Uh, yeah, no. He didn't he miss a thing. Yeah, he debuted on SmackDown and hasn't missed a beat since then. So. He debuted the day of the allegation against him. And, you know, he's getting pushed. Um, you know, and you go right down the line. Nothing, you know, Marty Skrull, we haven't heard a thing. My gut tells me Marty Skrull is not going to lose his job or Ring of Honor. I think it would have happened by now. They, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, my, my I, prediction right now, and we'll talk about Ring of Honor here in a little bit. Uh, my prediction now is is that if anything were to happen with Marty, it would have happened weeks ago at this point. Now, I know there's this idea that Sinclair moves slowly and they're a big company and they're they're going to follow all the proper HR procedures and do it the right way. And But this has been a very long time It's been now. a month and a half um, at this point. <laughs> like, you know, and it's and, Ring of Honor. Like, I mean, it's not like you're, you're firing the CEO or, you know, some big, you know – Ring of Honor is a line item. If they really want to get rid of this guy, even if it's 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 all corporate eyes and all that sort of stuff, I'm sure it wouldn't be hard for one guy in a in a in an office to say, "Yeah, just get rid of the guy. Who cares?" And then get rid of him. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, look, I, we could be wrong. I don't. I just don't get the sense that he's going anywhere. There's no indication that they're yeah. they're going in that direction. The, all indications are we're we're investigating, we're exploring, we're looking into it, all that sort of stuff. No indication has been that on on the other side that they're seriously thinking about getting rid of him or or, or or letting him go or suspending him or anything like that. So I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, some of these guys are are, are just going to skate. Um, I don't get the sense that because B Priestley, if if this were related to speaking out, they would have they would have dealt with her previous to this because they dealt or uh, you know they pretty much dealt with everybody. The only one they didn't really deal with at all was Justin Roberts. They kind of blew that one off, but. Justin Roberts one is like, you know, there's like, there's at least the public screenshots, there's there's no age for the person he was talking to in the public screenshots. Um, it's a very mild conversation, in, especially in comparison to some of the others. So maybe there just wasn't enough on him. And, and everything Elite, you know, reported on Darby on the same show that they reported on, uh, um, uh, on Havoc retiring, where they investigated Darby, they felt there was nothing there and, and nothing happened to him. And of course we know that they dealt with with Guevara. Yeah, right, right. So I feel like if they were releasing B Priestley because of something related to speaking out, that would have happened a long time ago. Because they kind of dealt with all of their speaking out stuff already. Right. And I kind of feel the same for, for a lot of companies as well. I mean, maybe WWE will be different, but I kind of feel like whoever was going to be gone from there or, or was going to be exiled. And we might see when NXT UK, if it ever does come back, who, who you know, who comes back and who doesn't. Maybe some people, you know, under, under you know, or, or were let go or kind of told, hey, we don't really need you anymore. You know, kind of under the table type stuff. But yeah, you're, you're, you're you know, your top, your Devlins and, and your you know, Trent Sevens and those sort of guys, I feel like we would have known, we we know by now. You know, Listen, some of the guys, those, Jack Gallagher was, Jack, Gallagher was gone like that day. Like five hours later, he's fucking gone, yeah. released, get off our roster, get off our TV, you know, get away, and and, and he's done. He's gone. He's, you know, and, and, and there was other a few other people on that as well. I kind of, I, and I don't know, I don't know. We have no idea right now, but I kind of feel like they've probably dealt with everybody that they're going to deal with because 
Jimmy's back. You know, he's gone for his, you know, 60 to 90 days, and, and now he's back. So, I don't know. Is that related? I, I don't know if you saw it, but they just filed trademarks for Jordan Devlin and Mustache Mountain. Yeah. So, Tough, that tells you, you all you need to know. They're, they're <laughs> not getting punished. And, again, these aren't – we're not making value judgments here. We're just saying – We're just reporting the news. Uh, yeah, we're just reporting I'm, what we know. Yeah. I'm observing the lay of the land, and, and I tried to warn people that if you thought you were getting, like, swift and harsh justice, whatever that means to you on all of these people, that was never going to happen. And that's just not how the world works. I mean, um, you know, for, for various reasons in all of these cases, some of these guys, whatever verbiage you want to use, they were going to skate, they were going to get away with it, whatever, however you want to term it. Um, that was going to be the case. And we're starting to see that I'm pretty surprised about Velveteen dream because they, they took him off TV. And I really felt like that was a bad sign for him. Um, <laughs> you think, <laughs> but and then he just pops. Now I'm starting to think when they pulled him off TV, it wasn't to uh, investigate or see where anything went. I kind of think it was just uh, a character thing. I think they wanted him off TV for a while so they can bring him back now. That's that's my take now. Now that he's back, I feel like, oh, wow, they weren't really ever taking his stuff seriously. They were just removing him from TV as like for, for, for wrestling purposes. That's kind of my feel on it now, which is weird because when they took him off TV, I thought he was history. Well, the timing was, was so perfect. I mean, the timing yeah. was like this guy's a featured act, a featured act, one of the main guys – Boom, all this comes comes out, and he's gone. He's just gone, never spoken of, never mentioned, never talked about, and now 60 to 90 days later, he's back. And it's just like, oh, all right. Now, he's disappeared before. Yes, wouldn't be the first or the last, I think, for him. He's, so. he's had some other issues outside of his uh, allegations of kid diddling or attempted kid diddling. Allegations, of course, allegedly. Um He's had some other issues separate of that, so that where where he has disappeared for periods of time, and uh, I don't know if that stuff's ever been reported or not. So I'm not going to speak the specifics on it because I don't I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but people can connect the dots there. Well, you, I, mean, I he's, think a lot a lot of this uh, some of the stuff is public record as well. The man, uh, yeah, I just couldn't remember whether it was. Yeah, or not. no, and he has he has he, he tends to get in car accidents a lot. So <laughs> those are not, those are available. Not, so. <laughs> It's not because he's a lousy driver. Right, right. Um, he's got the Scott Hall in 1998 syndrome where he just keeps wrecking cars. Just, it's darn. just the, wor- the worst. <laughs> Another <lock>. car. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, <laughs> I tried to beat that light. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's the AEW situation. We'll keep an eye on it. Got the phone ready, Rich, in case uh, we get some confirmation or some answers from people. But it's uh, it's not looking good. You know, we're not Dave Meltzer, apparently. I guess, yeah. Or, well, yeah, yeah. Jeez. They stopped the taping to talk to him, but, you know, us? All right, that's cool. We get it. Unless he's just speculating. That's possible, too. (laughs) Using whatever verbiage he wants to use. Um, Should we we turn into a Dave Meltzer bash podcast? um, This would be a good opportunity to do it. They make a lot of money. I don't know. I really don't have anything against Dave Meltzer. All right, that's fine. Right. I know everybody. I know you're supposed to hate them. <laughs> I thought that'd be I a good, not... that'd be a great opportunity for us to do it. But you didn't want to. You don't want to. You know, Dave's the Godfather, man. I'm not making fun of. Dave. No, I, I thought you wanted to pivot into a uh, make fun of Dave podcast, which is no. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't. I really don't either. But you know, if we want to make some more money, I think yeah. I have no beef with Dave. I mean, I don't know. Like anyone else, I mean, I don't always agree with him, but I. <laughs> 
it's the just the lowest hanging fruit of, of wrestling podcasts is it's just yeah it's the word it's yeah it's, um, dave doesn't know shit he wasn't backstage okay all right there's a market for it there's a lot of stupid people yeah um you know and then the dave controversies are almost always <laughs> completely word. overblown i mean they're utter nonsense um you know but uh Let's talk about. Oh, we gotta do Kamala, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll start off with that. We got we got a lot going on in the show uh, today. We got, uh, the, uh, of course, we're gonna talk about Kamala right now. Uh, New Japan six man tournament. We have some new six man never open weight six man champions. Uh, New Japan cancels a show this morning. The G one climax schedule. Uh, speaking of other tournaments, we got the Champion Carnival, the N one. We got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, Repro UK, you mentioned there a little bit. Uh, WWE Network making some additions, uh, adding some indies, uh, some big news to talk about as well. Also, uh, WWE may be moving to a uh, new taping location, too, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Ring of Honor's return to TV. And then St. Louis Anarchy's uh, Spirit of Spalding Night 1 uh, for the A Block. We're going to talk about that. But uh, before we do that, as we always you know, don't like to do, I don't want to say like to do, but we always try to do when uh, a big name in wrestling passes away, uh, start the show off with a little discussion about them and, and our memories of that wrestler uh, and this week, unfortunately, uh, James Kamala Harris uh, passes away after battling health issues for what felt like like 20, 30 years for him. I, I forgot when he you know, he lost one of his legs, I want to say, in the early 2000s or mid-2000s. And then he lost the other leg, I don't know, about 5, 10 years ago or so. So he's bound to a wheelchair, no legs, wasn't able to, you know, he'd been a truck driver before that. He wasn't able to do that anymore. Uh, and, and, you know... Lived it's seemingly still a pretty decent enough life, all things considered, but uh, definitely, yeah, uh, without the use of his legs, definitely lost a, a lot of uh, what he was able to do. But uh, yeah, let, let's let's talk about the life and career of Kamala first before we uh, you know talk about his end or whatever. But uh, yeah, what 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 kind of memories do you have of uh, of Kamala first and foremost? Well, I could take you through his whole career. I mean, um, obviously. Now look, I wasn't going to Mississippi Indies in the late 1970s, no? so I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. I'm, I, you know, I, I can't. Uh, I can't break down Sugar Bear. Sugar Bear. I was going to say, yeah, you don't. You don't. You didn't watch any Sugar Bear uh, matches. That's a great gimmick too, Sugar Bear. I mean, he started. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he started as Sugar Bear Harris um, in small, not even. You know, it's hard even to call him territory. It's just small time wrestling in uh, Mississippi. It's funny because. Um, and, and as everybody knows, you know, they, they used them, he, he made, you know, they used them uh, in Memphis. And then in Memphis is where they came up with the gimmick of Kamala, the Ugandan giant or Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter, which it was in some places. Kamala with an I in some places, yep. Kamala with an A in some places, giant Kamala in some places. But the idea was, you know, uh, Kamala was always the, the, uh, the constant there and they, they, they invented that gimmick in Memphis and Memphis, they invented tons of gimmicks over the years. Uh, a lot of them never stuck and were horrible. Tagar Lord of the volcano is one that instantly <laughs> comes to mind. And, uh, but, but Kamala, the Ugandan giant, not only did that one endure and end up being uh, one of the most memorable wrestling gimmicks period of the 1980s. I think that's uh, easily safe to say, but it really saved this guy's career because sugar bear Harris Really wasn't going anywhere as a pro. He was a terrible pro wrestler. I mean, uh, he just wasn't good. And he never really uh, could sustain in any of the major territories until he took on the Kamala gimmick in in Memphis. And that was just a game changer for him because he was able to hide his weaknesses. Right. He was a terrible talker. And, you know, good gimmick to do if you're a terrible talker because you don't have to talk. 
Yeah, and even his work. I mean, um, I actually heard – it's funny because um, Cornette had just spoken about Kamala because he got a question on one of his shows a few weeks ago. And I was watching something on YouTube and, and it, it auto-played Cornette talking about Kamala, right? This was before he died. Maybe a couple of days before he died I heard this. And Cornette made a good point. He said that the Kamala gimmick actually helped cover a lot of his weaknesses as a worker because he was, you know, he threw terrible punches. Well, as Kamala, he never had to throw punches again because he used overhand chops. He used those big sweeping overhand chops, you know, the top, the old, you know, like the Baba chops. Right, right, right. You know, uh, that became like, you know, because the idea was, um, you know, a guy plucked from the jungle, he wouldn't know how to throw punches. He was never in a boxing gym. He threw these big overhand chops and, and, uh, you know, he did splashes and just, uh, a very dumbed down move set because the idea was that, uh, this man was plucked straight from the jungle and, and had never been integrated into society and didn't know how to speak and was, and was just this beast that, you know, whatever, heel manager and whatever various territory was managing him claimed to you know found him in Af- africa and- yeah yeah i think uh in in i think J- uh jj dylan said that he fi- he was a bodyguard of idi amin <laughs> you got yeah. it as well which is just utterly ridiculous incredible story yeah. given like if you actually look what Idi Amin did and what Uganda is, like the idea that this man was the bodyguard, you know, this this jungle beast or whatever the hell he was, which is so ridiculous, but so very right, very nineteen eighties wrestling for sure. So it doesn't even fit. Like no. he's he's supposedly a, this wild man from nature, but yeah, he wouldn't have been a but. But yeah, that's the idea. And he was always accompanied by either Friday or Kimchi. Again, depending on the territory, they would call you know his second either Friday or kimchi. I think in his various WWF runs that I'm going to get to, he, it was Friday early on. And then later on, obviously, you know, later on um, with some of the runs that people might remember a little better, it was kimchi and it would be played by the original uh, Friday was Frank Dalton, uh, who was a territory wrestler at the time, father of dirty Andy Dalton. Uh, And then later on, like uh, with some of the WWF runs, you know, Steve Lombardi would, right, right. That's one I always remember would be kimchi and i don't know if frank dalton ever made it to wwf he may have during the 1984 run i'm not positive but um you know a lot of steve lombardi a lot of whoever happened to be around that night on the house show you know that sort of thing as far as the friday slash kimchi role would go that was his handler you know because it wasn't enough for the like the managers could never handle right because it was freddie blassie right that original run he had Blassie, he had Slick, he had uh, Sika, he had, um, this is just WWF, you know. The Wizard, then, I think he had The Wizard for a little while too, if I remember. The Wizard, Kevin Sullivan in WCW, um, in the territories, like you said, J.J. Dillon. Or, Fuji, or, I think Fuji had him for a little while too, if I remember. I do remember the Fuji have, run, I think. Yeah, I just, you know, so, but but it, it would they would always have to be accompanied with by either Friday or Kimchi because that's who really knew how to handle him and communicate with him. You know, cause he could not communicate cause he couldn't speak and he really owned the gimmick. I mean, the things he did well, the one thing I'll remember that he did best was show fear, right? Whether it was what running from Damien, you know, when Jake, the snake would come at yeah, him with yeah, Damien oh, yeah. or the fear he would show for the coffin, like, you know, uh, the casket matches with the undertaker and he'd be afraid of the casket or even just, 
coming into the arena on his entrance and the way he would look around like who are all these people? Where am I? What's with these lights? What I'm in a building. Uh, you know, this guy's carrying a, a, a shield and a spear and he's wearing a mask and a loincloth. You know, the idea was that he, he'd never seen civilization. So he'd come into these territories for the first time as this unbridled, uncontrollable beast that, that, that was never integrated into society. And it would always draw money that first time around with whoever the top babyface was either, you know, Jerry Lawler in Memphis, and you know he had a bunch of different Mid South runs, but he would always draw best and draw big the first time around in these territories. So uh, they invented the gimmick in Memphis. A story that we've told on this show a million times was that the original vignette to introduce him, because Memphis was very good with the vignettes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you remember the original uh, Hulk Hogan vignette they did in Memphis with standing six foot eight? I don't know if I actually don't know if I've ever seen that one. I mean, let me put a note. Let me put a note in there because that sounds right up my alley because I love okay, the old Memphis intro videos. It is so good. They start with the camera at his feet, and it slowly pans up as this guy is going standing six foot eight. 320 pounds with 27 inch arms and the camera slowly pans up and, and you know and eventually it gets up and he's flexing um, but they were always great with the vignettes and the original Kamala vignette was him like coming out of the jungle right like, <laughs> the jungle of Jerry Jarrett's backyard there you go We've which we talked about because uh world class I think used the same video or recreated this video at least right because yes. we talked about this many years ago when the network first dropped I think one of the first things that I watched I think you maybe recommended it as well uh, was to go through World Class. So I started watching World Class, I think, or whenever they dropped World Class on the network. And I basically started from the first drop that they had, I think somewhere around 1983 uh, or somewhere around 82. there. Or, yeah, 82. So I watched all of 82, uh, most of 83. I think I, I watched everything I could, you know, leading up to the you know the infamous cage match with the Freebirds and the Von Erics, uh, and then even past that and, and just kept watching and watching and watching. And I remember telling you the f- part that I loved the most was Kamala emerging from the jungle, but the jungle's like... You know, there's like oak trees and like prairie grass yeah. all over the place. Yeah. I'm like, that looks like my backyard. And there's like what appears to be smoke, and it's clearly just like you know, ice. <laughs> you know, getting like sprayed with a hose. It's just incredible. But it's yeah, it's come out emerging from the jungle, and it's like oak trees and like it's just a clearly, it was, it's so clearly like middle America backyard. Then <laughs> it was it was quite literally Jerry Jarrett's backyard, and I. You know whether they used that tape in Texas or they did it in Fritz von Erich's backyard. Yeah, right. The same. It looked exactly the same, regardless. It may have been the same tape. I mean, they did that a lot in those days. But uh, you know, Memphis. He worked mid south a lot. He obviously worked uh, Texas a lot. And the first time through, you know, and he went to places like Florida and Georgia. But really, he's known for mid south and Texas and Memphis. If if you're talking about territories, and uh, 1984 was his first run. With the WWF, and remember, this is this is uh, Vince McMahon's Vincent K. McMahon's first full year, right? Eighty four was it? When did he buy it from his father? Eighty two. He bought it. Yeah, he bought it eighty two or eighty three, and then yeah, eighty four is when he assumed full control. Basically, it was like his first full year pre WrestleMania. Kamala comes in, and his big feud on that run was Andre. He headlined a ton of shows against Andre. I think they had some cage matches. Yep. In fact, I think one of the cage matches against Andre, at least one of them, are on the network. Maybe from Toronto. Let me look that up. Uh, I can, here, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah, let me, let me, let me okay. do a quick look here. 
I'm pretty so he had a he had a main event program against Andre and I think they had a cage match in Toronto and I think it's on the network. That's the match everybody remembers uh from uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Um so that was the 84 run and he was there from uh that wasn't a super long run. That was maybe just the back end of 84 before he uh hit the road and went back to some of these territories. Um was that in Toronto that match? Uh, so I'm trying to. I'm actually trying to see if it's on the network. Uh, there's a Houston match with Hogan in '87. There, uh, you'll believe we'll it, you'll be shocked to know that the uh, WWE Network doesn't sort things properly. So it's impossible for me to do this without uh, okay. Well, I'm clicking a stick, thousand times, but give I'm me a willing to. I'm willing to stake my reputation that he had a cage match in Toronto against Andre, which is kind of the trademark match of that feud. But they wrestled all over the loop in the main events, and then when that program ran its course. Uh, he hit the road and bounced around the territories again for a while until he had his next WWF run in 86. He comes back in 86 and throughout the back end of 86 and like the first half of 87 is when he has the big money feud with Hulk Hogan. And that was a big money feud. And they kept that one going longer than most of Hogan's programs because it kept drawing money. What's weird about that is he was around, like he came in after WrestleMania 2. Okay, so he wouldn't have been around for WrestleMania 2. But he was there through WrestleMania 3, but for whatever reason, he didn't work WrestleMania 3. I don't know why. Um, you know, because he was still having house show matches against Hulk Hogan on top around that time. But obviously the big money match at WrestleMania 3 was Hogan and Andre. But Hogan and Andre weren't wrestling on the loop. It Not to interrupt. Hogan... Uh, October 21st, 1984. Kamala Andre, Steel Cage, Maple Leaf Gardens. So good on you. Thank nice you. job. I told, listen, you know this is my era, and I'm going to crush this shit. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, if you want to find it. It's not easy to find on the network, but I guess you, you can find it. But it is on there, too. though, right? It is on there, yes. There you go. So you can watch that match easily. But uh, So anyway, he, 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 had, he, he worked on top with Hogan through the end of 86 and the beginning of 87 on all the house shows while they were heating up Hogan versus Andre, right? Cause they didn't do Hogan and Andre on the house shows. They saved that for WrestleMania three. And he ended up not having a match at WrestleMania three. Kamala, Kamala uh, didn't ended up not having a match, which it kind of sucks, right? He's working on top for all these months against Hogan. And then after the Andre match, he continues to work with Hogan on top, <laughs> um, probably into May or June. But, but Andre gets the big – now, look, I'm not saying Andre Hogan shouldn't have main evented WrestleMania and it should have been Hogan-Kamala. Obviously, Hogan and Andre is one of the biggest money matches of all time, and they made the right decision. But they couldn't throw Kamala a bone and give him a WrestleMania match. Right. I mean, oh, and it was that, point that, of contention. That struck me as bizarre. Yeah, it was a point of contention. I mean, I, I, I was reading an interview that he did with uh, Bleacher Report. I, forget, I think Jason Knight was the author. Uh, and he talks about that run, too, how he was just kind of like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the big work here, and I'm not getting paid like one of the big guys. You know, when when it's time for the big stars to come in, I get pushed to the side, and the big stars come in. And he's like, well, I'm busting my ass here on the on the house shows. I'm working my ass off. I'm in main events. I'm doing all this sort of stuff. But, yeah, like, you know, I'm treated like a second-class citizen, you know, not only in the gimmick but in, in, in real life, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm telling you, I he probably worked with Hogan through the summer. Of 87. And remember, that program started in 86. That was a big money program. In fact, I think when Meltzer talked about Kamala, he had mentioned that, oh, it was Matt Farmer. Matt Farmer passed along to Meltzer 
that I think Kamala was Hogan's third or fourth biggest drawing program, the one in 86 <laughs> or 87, of Hogan's entire run. And if you know anything about that run, he had killer programs against everybody. So, yeah, uh, just, just uh, I, I ran the dates here real quick. His first uh, singles match is November 86, and he does house show matches with Hogan until June of 87. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of months. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that is a rich, that's a long house show program. And remember, that ran, again, that ran through WrestleMania. So, you know, the guy works with Kamala right up to WrestleMania. Then he draws 93,000 asterisk with Andre at WrestleMania 3. Kamala's not even on the show. And then he goes right back to working with Kamala on the house <laughs> right, shows. Right. So, but anyway, to me, that Hogan feud is the peak and the highlight of Kamala's career. I mean, they were drawing big houses everywhere, sellouts all over the place, uh, legitimate sellouts, not old-timer. Ah, we were selling out every building. They were selling out every building for that feud. And when that finally ran its course, um, you know, he didn't stick around very long. I think that 87 run, and that was with Sika. That was a Sika run. I, I, If you want me to pin down what manager worked what run, that's too hard. I can't remember all that. But I know that 87 run that he was paired up with Sika. I think and, he bounced between guys that entire time. And that's when it kind of had all kind of fallen off. I, I know I've, I've watched a few of those things. And he's got Sika at one point. I think the Wizard takes over at one point again. I, I know for a fact Mr. Fuji takes over at a point. But, you know, he, he's out of there by, you know, I think uh, October, September. He, he's out of the company. So, yeah, it bounces yeah. around a bunch of times after the Hogan stuff. Yeah, the program ran its course. And I think he had Blassie maybe on the 84 run for yeah, a while. Yeah, I, I think that's correct. Um Anyway, that 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 gets murky because they changed managers like crazy during that era, especially him. Like you're saying, he had a bunch of different managers. And you're right, he the wizard popped up in WWF around that time and was managing Kamala and Sika for a while. And then we're going to talk about the wizard again in in a couple of minutes. Yeah, Dungeon and Doom, right? Yeah. So he leaves, and then he bounces back. I think he went back to Texas for a while, and kind of you know. disappeared until from America anyway uh, for the most, because the territories were dead now. At this point, most of the territories are gone. So, um, you know, he went, he worked Texas during the dying days and, and Memphis throughout his career, he would, uh, he could always fall back on Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Close to home, you know, that that, that was always his fallback. But the first big program, it's like, he's the kind of character where you can get that first big money program out of him, but then it's like, it never does as well the second time around. You know, so, and then he ended up back in WWF for the nineteen ninety, the early nineties run, ninety two and ninety three. Yeah, that's unfortunately the run that I remember him most from is this era, which uh, isn't ideal because it's obviously not his best run. But it's uh, you know, in some ways for for you know a certain subset of, uh, of fans, uh, his most famous run. Even though, yeah, it, it you know it starts uh, in you know it's got Kim Chi. I think Harvey Whippleman was managing him at that time too. Another uh, manager. That's yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does the famous, you know, uh, match at, at SummerSlam. And uh, I think it's a coffin match at that point. I don't even think it's a casket match at that point. But like you said, uh, it, great acting by Kamala as he's, you know, he gets all bug eyed every time he sees the casket and runs away or whatever. And Harvey Whipman and Kim Chi try like hell to get him into the casket match or whatever. And, and he does that. But then, yeah, obviously, 93, you know, speaking of another um, manager, I remember this, you know, he goes with Slick, but now the Reverend Slick. He's been reformed. Remember yeah. the reform yes. Slick? And it was babyface Kamala. Yes, because that's when they're going to humanize Kamala. They're going to teach him how to use forks and how to 
bowl yeah. and, and like you know use a toilet and stuff and it it led to like you know i'm sure you know gut wrench you know gut blasting you know vince mcmahon humor throughout that time too but they're famous vignettes like you know wh- whether you like them or not like they're they're super famous so and he had his big program against undertaker as the heel yeah so right, right. and look that wasn't anywhere close to the program against andre oh god no or the program against hogan in terms of headlining and drawing money but wwf wasn't drawing money period during those two years, you know, 92 and 93, and really until what, 97? They started yeah, drawing money. Yeah, late, late 97 when they, when they bumped those in your houses up, <laughs> you know, to full prices basically when they start making money. So, so he was, you know, that's a bad period anyway. So they went baby fat. Now, look, he, and that's the thing with him saying he was so good at conveying fear. He was able to do it in both a serious manner as a heel, as someone who was just sort of afraid of. Uh, uh, civilized society, but also getting across fear in a more of a comical way. Yeah. Well, you know? one thing I always remember about Kamala the more than anything is how in the bulk of a match, and if you go back and watch any of his like you know squash matches or whatever, Monsoon Classic has a ton. There's a ton on the WWE Network if you want to check those out. He was able to do fear and comedy almost in the same match really really well because one of the famous things that Kamal would do in WWF a lot I, I, at least I you know from from what I've seen you know it, of, of those you know squash matches is he would just be destroying this guy just absolutely destroying this guy just pummeling him pummeling him pummeling him but then they always did the gimmick where he didn't know how to pin a guy the guy'd be on his stomach and he'd go you know he'd sit on his you know his back and 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 move his leg up and you know kimchi and and whippleman or you know uh, Mr. Fuji or whatever are like no 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 you got to turn around turn around turn around yeah. and he wouldn't get it and what was awesome though is it was like you know, Bobby Heenan and, and, and Grill Monsoon or whoever was on commentary is like, this this beast, he, you know, he can kill people, but he doesn't even know how to do it. He doesn't even know what he's doing in the ring. He has no idea. What, and it was a great way to sort of, like, the bulk of the match was him destroying a guy, killing a guy, just absolutely pulverizing him. But then when the when the end would come, it was like a little bit of comedy, a little bit of, of camp there where this, this uncivilized beast, it would make sense that this uncivilized beast wouldn't know how to hook a leg and roll somebody up in a pinfall. So he'd land on a guy and just kind of pin him wherever he was. And it's like, no, 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 you got to do it. Th-. But I like that. You know, he was so good at the character. And that's the thing, like, getting into that character and really diving into that character and all the nuance of that character, they made it make sense. Like, he would get to the top rope and kind of slip or not quite sure how to – he didn't know how to do anything. And that was – that it worked to it perfectly is that he didn't – nothing in the ring that he did – felt or looked smooth because he's a Ugandan jungle beast. You know what I mean? Like he's not supposed to be a guy that knows how to get to the top rope and do it. You know, a, a, um, you know, a, a knee from the top, or he's not a guy that knows how to hook a leg for a pinfall and, and keep somebody away from, you know, getting a, a, a rope break or whatever. And that's what I always loved about Kamala is that the gimmick, it was just, it was all in on that gimmick, every single part of it. And every little thing that you would think about, he thought about, or whoever was booking it or whatever thought about, okay, well, no, this is a giant, the beast, he wouldn't know how to do X or whatever. And I always thought they did a great job uh, of towing that line and not, you know, ever straying from that, really. He owned the fuck out of that gimmick. And, you know, the belly slap, obviously, and um, all the little uh, nuances in the matches that, like, you're talking about. And, you know, and there really was a difference between 80s Kamala. Like, you go watch that 84 WWF run and he's taken very seriously like this guy's a threat like he's he's out of control and and uh and and, and he was a huge man on top of that and but then later on in the 90s there were more comedy aspects to it you know especially you know by the slick era of course but even like you're talking about with like Harvey Whippleman or whatever you know pinning the guy when he's on his stomach it was kind of played a little bit more for comedy you know at, at that point 
But um, but you know, and then and then he 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 leaves WWF around ninety three or ninety four. But then in ninety five, he ends up in WCW as one of the friends of Hogan when Hogan brought in you know Earthquake and Kamala and the Nasty Boys and Brutus Beefcake and and uh, you go right down the line. I'm probably forgetting uh, a couple of them. And, you know, as one of the members of the Dungeon of Doom, where we get the wizard back into the mix, uh, what was his name in WCW? Uh, uh, oh, man, what, what the hell was his name? This is, it's Curtis IK for people who don't know who the wizard yeah, was. Kurt- oh, my God, what was his name in WCW? I'm blanking on it right now. Crap. I think, is he the, the master uh, or something like that? Because he was he was something, they, they called him something of the, I, I just, I can remember vividly Kevin Sullivan being like, this is the blank of the Dungeon of Doom. You know what I mean? Like, it's, the, it's just the, ma- the master. I think it was just the master. Yeah, I forget what it was. They never said who it was, which is weird when you bring in Curtis Ikea and have him like in a smoky room and never say who it is. Doing the same exact gimmick as as he always it was it was the same you know it was the master because I think Kevin I'm Sullivan, almost positive it was the master yeah because Kevin Sullivan was the taskmaster yes exactly master so you know Kamala was part of that and wasn't he in the the triple tower doom gimmick match I and think all that? I would like to not remember what happened in that match actually I do, believe it or not I don't think he's in that I know for a fact he's in a fall brawl I covered it for the fall brawl uh, recall. Uh, on, on patreon.com slash voice of wrestling there is a war games match that's so bad it's hogan yeah. luger savage and sting versus oh my god who was in the dungeon of doom i know it's kamala Probably. i know it was zodiac <laughs> little ed yeah. leslie i know it was the shark maybe hugh morris no or... it was it was ming i remember it was ming because he would just like shake the cage the entire time it was so bad it's it's close your eyes and imagine that match in 1995 it was as bad as you can possibly imagine just so terrible yeah, and I, I think what happened was Kamala was gone by the time that. Triple yeah, I, for, I think he was happened. supposed to be in it, but yeah, I mean, it would make sense that he'd be in it, but yeah, I, I, I think he had already left at that point. I don't think he stuck around very long. Did he make it to Nitro? I maybe like one or two weeks, but not really. I mean, I think he was out by because when, when was Nitro? September ninety-five, right? September, yeah. Cowboys. I think Giants he might have been gone Nitro like ball. that week or whatever. I think like literally like that week or the next week. Uh, he was gone, but I don't know if he ever made an appearance on Nitro, actually. I'll, I'll do a quick uh, uh, cage match to see if he ever did. I don't did, think but... he ever wrestled on a Nitro. I don't think he made it to Nitro. He almost barely made it on Raw. I know he was on a few episodes of Raw, but... That fall brawl might have been one of his last appearances. Because... Uh, he did a dark match on Nitro 2 against Barry Houston, and that was it. So he never appeared on Nitro. Yeah, yeah. So that that again, he didn't stick around places real long. That that ninety two ninety three WWF run was one of his longer runs. I mean, he bounced around, but when this was it for him, this you know that fall that fall brawl war games match is probably his last high profile match, unless you want to count the 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 Brian Danielson match in Ring of Honor, which you know um, got some attention at the time, and I think he did a couple of different shots for Ring of Honor like around two thousand. Well, well, he was in. He was at the Houston WrestleMania weekend in 2009. I know that for sure because when I was leaving the building that night, he was sitting on a folding chair <laughs> in the hallway, like eating dinner. And I remember, I, well, I, that Kamala's sitting there. Um, but I don't know if he worked. He may have worked a pre-show match for ROH in Houston that year. Yeah, I'm not sure. Cage um, match isn't showing any actual official matches in Ring of Honor, I don't believe, so. 
I may have just done a run in maybe yeah, then. Or something. Yeah, I, I, I know that he appeared a few times in WWE. I think he had a match with Randy Orton and then a match against Umaga, I think, in, in 2005 or 2006 or whatever. He, 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 he was in the gimmick battle role, too, for sure. So, What promotion did he wrestle Brian Danielson for? I thought that was mm. really important. Let me, let me see if I can do a quick search here and see. Because I, I thought you were right, too, but it, it, it doesn't show that he ever worked actual Ring of Honor, which is weird. Because I, I, sw- I know he came out, but it maybe have just had been, you know. He, without question, appeared on Ring of Honor shows. LSW. So it was a Ring of Honor world title match, actually. This is crazy here. Special referee Prince Nana. (laughs) Incredible. That's the confusion. That's the confusion. Yeah, LSW Wrestling. I don't know what that is. It's in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Kamala defeats Brian Danielson by DQ, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he, without question, was in the building for that 2009 Houston uh, WrestleMania weekend show. I don't remember what angle he did or whatnot, but um, that I am definitely not misremembering. That's the show where the fire alarm went off. Well, one of the shows where the fire alarm went off. That's the show where Kenta and Davey Richards were on the precipice of a five-star match and they blew the finish. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Where oh, yeah. <laughs> Kenta tried to reverse go to sleep and it just didn't come up. He never really tried that again. He tried it twice and it missed it both times. And then he just picked them up and gave him the regular go to sleep. And it really sucked all the wind out of the match. But that was still a great match. And I, I remember sitting there thinking this is a five-star match until they botched that finish. And I watched that sitting next to Katsuhiko Nakajima. He <laughs> came up in the Yeah, he came up in the, the bleachers and sat right next to me. You know, and I'm like, that's Katsuhima Nakajima. Was and he I remember fourteen at the time, or what was he eighteen maybe at this point? Where 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 what age are we at? Well, he wrestled, I think, Roderick Strong, and that was a great match. And then after his match, he came up into the bleachers and and to watch Kenta. You know what I mean? Because it's like that's that's the guy he feuded with him that entire year. That's 2009. That's like in the middle of their of their big rivalry. And he was watching the match intently, and I remember thinking to myself, "I'm not going to bother him because he's like studying this match." And then after the match, I he's like one of the only wrestlers I've ever like introduced myself to. I was <laughs> hello, sir. Yeah, I'm like you know you know I just you know I'm I'm like you're Katsuhiko Nakajima, and he just I remember him bowing to me. And, yeah, well, then, you know, okay. So my thing with introducing myself to wrestlers or talking to wrestlers is once they reach a certain level of popularity, I know that they don't want me to talk to them. I know that they don't give two shits yeah. that I'm a fan or I like them or I, you know, but if they're like on the lower end, I, I do like the, Hey, good match, man. Or Hey, nice job. Or, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. When you're sitting next to Katsu- uh, Nakajima in whatever year, what are we talking? Like 2007 or whatever the hell this is. Like that dude oh, is nine, still like nine. very, or, or nine, that dude is still very happy that somebody knows who he is. That man yeah. is in America sitting in the bleachers and a man walked up and said, big fan. I, you know, appreciate you. Hi. Like that—that's gonna—that's gonna work for him. That he's gonna be feeling good the rest of the night about that. Yeah, I had a a, a very brief, like he didn't. I don't think he knew much English, but I tried to have like a little. I didn't try to talk to the guy, but I, I the Kenta match ended, and I I I was like pointing to the ring, and we both just like shook our heads, like yeah, that was pretty great. And then I told him his match was great, and then he like you know was saying thank you, thank you over and over, and, and like bowing, and then I just shook his hand, and that was that. But it was just kind of surreal watching this Kenta match next to Nakajima, right? Like, like with him sitting there watching it, and like you know quietly reacting to the spots, and and just I, I'll never forget he was just 
his his attention was just unbreakable. He was just studying the match. It's very similar to when Masawa came to Ring of Honor and Morishima came out from the back uh, with the chair and stood on the chair to study the match. And he gave me the chair because everyone stood for the entire match. This was in Philly because it was New York, but this is the Philly match. Everyone was standing for the match and, you know, I'm always in the back by the wall like a weirdo and I'm stretching my neck and I, and he gave me his chair to stand on. He was standing on a chair, but then he gave me the chair and like he scurried to the back and went and got another chair. But it's same thing. Like he was studying Misawa the same way that uh, Nakajima was studying Kenta. And in fact, what's ironic here is I think Misawa was in a tag against Kenta that night with the more, with the Morishima anecdote here. But at any rate, this all ties back to Kamala because Kamala did something on that show. I don't know what it was. I don't remember what it was. He either ran in and beat up a heel or something. Um, but that was the show where the fire alarm went off and the top rope broke as well. That show had a lot of issues <laughs> yeah. because the top rope broke during a uh, Chris Hero match. I don't remember the particulars because it was Sweet and Sour Ink and. Yeah, it looks like it was it's like an incognito in Sweet and Sour Ring versus Jay Briscoe, Kevin Steen, and Magno. Yeah. What a match. Jesus well, Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and well, incognito <laughs> is Hunico. Right, right, yeah. So in, incognito is Hunico. Um, yeah, and the top rope broke, but Hero, as he always does, made the absolute most of it, and it ended up being an excellent match despite the fact that there was no top rope and they worked it in like he was doing spots off the middle rope and you know they they did a really uh they did a really good job with it um and then you know then the fire alarm goes off during the brian danielson alex kozlov i want to say brian danielson versus alex kozlov check your check your work here um yep nailed it nice and the fire alarm is going off, but it's not just the alarm. Lights are flashing, too. <laughs> Which makes it tough to... Because <laughs> you, yeah. you can focus through a fire alarm. Most people just kind of go, ah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, the lights are going to be tough. That that's. Well, we didn't know what to do. We thought we were going to die. Because we didn't... We're like, there might be a fire. But they didn't stop wrestling. <laughs> so it was this weird thing where some people were slowly wandering to the door. And some people were in their seats, but they were not sure if they should stay in their seats and die of smoke inhalation. But the wrestlers kept going. There's lights flashing, the alarm's going off. And I know I've told this story a million times too, but we always have new listeners. That's when I ran into Brian Alvarez. Because I was like, you know what? I'm not dying for a Brian Danielson Alex Kozlov match. I'm going to mosey on out of this building. So I'm leaving, and I run into Alvarez on the way out, and I figure, well, he's Brian Alvarez. He might know what's going on. So I said, so what's going on? Is there a fire? He's like, I don't know. Just like that. His Brian Alvarez voice. <laughs> right, yeah. And I was like, well, should we leave? And he goes, I don't know. And then I was like, just shrug my shoulders. And I think I gave him a handshake too and introduced me. And then I just, I, I, I went out in the, in, the, in the hallway. Like I, and, but that, like no one really left the building because we weren't sure. And then the fire alarm stopped and everybody went back to their seat and they, they just finished the match. But that was a cursed show. Oh, you had the fire alarm. You had the top rope breaking off. You had Kenta blowing the finish with Davey Richards. And then you had the Jerry Lynn title win that nobody wanted 
that no one wanted any part of. No I know. One wanted I'm still Jerry mad. I'm title. still mad about that Jerry Lynn title win. I remember. I remember reading that and just being enraged at that time. My my love of Ring of Honor has never recovered from that moment when I read that Jerry Lynn was the champion and then he moseyed on into Chicago Ridge with that title. And I was just like, "Fuck this! I'm done with this company. I'm over it." So. This is allegedly that was a Carrie Silken call because he wanted to recreate the wrestler. And, um, you know, Jerry Lynn beat Nigel McGuinness that night. And look, a very memorable show for all of these various reasons. But, you know, at the same time, a very cursed show, you know, with uh, with, with a lot of stuff that 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 just went wrong. But um, I, I, I can't for the life of me remember what Kamala's role was on the show. But he was on it. I can promise you that. Um, and then the next night was, uh, they, you know, they ran two straight nights. I think they did a tag on. T- I didn't go to the second show, but um, so I can't really tell you much about that. But then, yeah, that that was really it. That '95 WCW run uh, was pretty much it for Kamala as a. Uh, yeah, he he made his cameo appearances, right, right. You know, gimmick battle royals and and things of that nature. Crab Rangoon. But he, yeah, he'd pop in now and then to WWF when they were doing, you know, um, you know, comedy stuff. Or yeah, diva searches and gimmick battle royals and any, yeah, there was stuff with the, the boogeyman. I think at one point too. Yeah, basically any comedy thing they'd, they'd call him in or any of the raw reunions. He'd come in and do some backstage thing or he'd make funny faces or whatever. So, yeah, but um, you know, look, a great gimmick. He owned the gimmick. It's a very, one of the most memorable gimmicks of the '80s. It saved his career. Um, he drew a shit ton of money, but unfortunately that didn't translate to, I mean, yeah, from, from, uh, you know, everything, uh, that's been said, he had a horrible back end of his life. I mean, yeah. he just, he, he claimed he got ripped off on a lot of payoffs. Um, you know, he obviously had the problems with his legs. Uh, he must've had both legs at least into 2009 because I saw him and he had two legs. Um, so I don't know when he lost his legs, one leg or both legs, had to be in recent years. But he died of the COVID. The thing got him. So, um, you know, not good. I mean, obviously he had a bad heart. The COVID triggered other, you know, his underlying, uh, his other underlying health issues. But um, he is probably alive today, if not for the thing. I mean, so, you know. Um, yeah, got to go into dialysis, which is just, uh, I mean. Is that the first high-profile American I mean, I know there's been a million luchadors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, the luchadors. Jesus. But as far as American-based wrestlers, I think he's the first one that we know for sure died of the thing. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm trying um, to think off the top of my head. Um, yeah, he's. So, I think he, I, I'm almost positive he is. So. Yeah, I mean – and people were asking for match wrecks and stuff. It's really not about match quality. Yeah, you. it's dude. Click any. I I, I I tweeted that out earlier this week because people were like, "Hey, what should I?" I'm like, dude, just kind of like go to Monsoon Classic or go to WWE Network and just I don't know, just click around. <laughs> like I I can't say definitively. Like yeah, I guess the Andre match. I, I linked it into the chat room, but that's one uh, that I think you can check out. It's like a you know twenty minutes or whatever. It's a little long. Maybe one of the Hulk Hogan matches. But otherwise, I don't know. Just click around, watch some squash matches. Like I, I don't, I can't really definitively say. Oh yeah, here are the definitive Kamala matches because it wasn't about any one individual match. It wasn't about any one individual performance. It was all about the character, all about the gimmick, all about how he you know portrayed that gimmick, and 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 less so about the actual Bell to Bell because the actual Bell to Bell. There's not much to write home about, but that's that was the art of pro wrestling. That still is the art of pro wrestling is yeah. is you know maximizing whatever you have, and and there's no doubt 
that that James Harris maximized everything he could possibly do with the Kamala character because he's like you said wasn't a good promo wasn't a good wrestler found a way to get you know a twenty year career out of really limited skills because you just say okay what can this guy do and what can he not do okay he can't talk he can't wrestle good boom we got something for him you know that's that's how wrestling was for for forever and they you know used to make a lot of money well, doing that so he went from a guy who couldn't get booked in any of the territories and was really just working Mississippi Indies to a guy who was a main eventer everywhere he went for the next 20 years because he owned, he just owned that gimmick and performed it so well. And, and all of the copycats that sprung most notably Ben Peacock, of course, who was giant Kimala too, who most people would probably remember from all Japan, but you know, most prominently, but, did the giant Kimala 2 gimmick everywhere and, and Botswana Beast in some places too. He was Botswana Beast and Giant Kimala 2. And, you know, he was shorter than James Harris, much shorter, actually. But uh, you know, had the big belly and did the paint. And I and I'm I'm I, he had his blessing. It wasn't like he ripped the guy off and ripped off his gimmick. I mean, they even worked together at times. But um even outside of Ben Peacock. There, you know, through the late '80s and early '90s, every indie, every fucking shit dick indie in the country had a Kamala ripoff. You know, whether it was a direct ripoff with the same moon and stars paint, or whether it was a derivative of the gimmick, or just a cannibal, or you know, there were Kamala knockoffs everywhere. You know, and and including one that made a career off of it. I mean, I'm not besmirching Ben Peacock, but he made a career. Where would he have been without right, ripping right, off right. Kamala? I mean, that it's just, it's just a again, testament to how important Kamala was. Is that you know you could do a rip off Kamala and, and people are still going to pay you to do it because they want. And that, yeah, exactly. Major league companies are going to book you, <laughs> knowing and, and advertising you as as the dollar store version, but they still would use you. You know, he even ended up. Uh, this is for November to remember in a couple of years, but Peacock ended up. Right. In, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> As Uganda, I believe he was called Uganda in ECW, doing this, doing the Kamala Act, and actually had a bit of a longer run than people might remember as Uganda. Um, probably what ninety seven or ninety eight. I think it was after the peak. It was sometime around there. It was very confusing for a young me to seeing what I thought was Kamala. Uh, did not. I wasn't quite sure what was going on at that point, but. Oh yeah, I mean, yo, oh, for sure. Yeah. They didn't they he, didn't explicitly say this is not Kamala. I will tell you that. As a young kid, I did not know that this was not Kamala. So. No, and all of the newsletter insider ECW hardcore fans knew it was Giant Kamala 2 from All Japan. But yeah, you as a 10-year-old, you you yeah, I could see how that would be very confusing. Because other than the height, he looked exactly the right, same. Right, right, right. I mean, other than the height, and he worked exactly the same. Um and, you know, he was in all Japan during that entire, um, you know, hot period in the early 90s as an underneath guy, uh, Ben Peacock. But, um, but yeah, he ended up in ECW as Uganda. He worked a lot of the territories as Botswana Beast. Um, you know, same gimmick, just a bunch of different – a million other names too that I can't um, think of off the top of my head. But, yeah, you know, th- that just Kamala gimmick was, was ripped off um, – you know, and a lot, a lot of tag teams too did the African cannibal gimmick. There were a lot of tag teams that did that. Um, 
uh, along with singles guys. There was that New Jersey tag team, and I cannot think of their names for the life of me. It's going to bother me. I should never even brought it up. But um, but yeah, anyway, that's that's uh, that's Kamala, a very memorable character. I would say if you only know of like the 90s stuff, go back and watch some of that 84 stuff. Mm-hmm. It really was a slightly different feel because it was more serious in, in tone. A little less on the comedy and more this is a dangerous individual who is liable to kill everybody in the building because he's out of control and you know, his matches were short and sweet. You know, you're not getting 28 minute matches with this guy. He, he had his stick and, um, whoa, as TLB comes running down the stairs with a face mask, looking like Kamala. <laughs> Jeez. She got like a mud mask on. That was, that, that made me jump a little. I turn around charcoal face mask. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. You, you ever do a face mask show? Nah, she tries to put it on my face. Ah, you should like, do it. It's, yeah. It feels good. You should do it. Uh, no use for that. Come on. I, I don't pores. Do Think of your pores, Joe. No fun, Lanza. I'm not doing it. Come on. Anyway, that's uh, that's Kamala. I'm not doing the charcoal mask. Okay, that's, she going? that's fair. Uh, I think she's going out in the garage to do her drugs. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to wait. Yeah, you got to wait while the face mask. Uh, you know. It's weed, to clarify. Before oh, yeah, no, no. There. She's not out there doing heroin. She's Shooting heroin and blowing, <laughs> right. blowing lines of coke. Yeah. Um, just just but, the wacky, uh, just the wacky tobacco. So, all right. Um, yeah. That's that. So, all right. Uh, let's get to the other stuff we want to talk about. Before we do that, though, Joe, uh, Joe, let you know that this episode of the Voice Dressing Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's back, Joe. It's ready. They're back again. Uh, and as you know, hiring is challenging, especially with everything else you have to consider today, ensuring workplace safety, running your business, making sure your business can stay alive. There's a lot of stuff to do that. But there is one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experiences and actively invites them to apply to your job. It invites them to apply to your job, which is perfect there. Uh, when you, you got too much else to worry about, you got too much else to handle, they invite them to apply to your job. Uh, ZipRecruiter makes the entire hiring process effective and efficient with features like screening questions to filter out candidates in all-in-one dashboard where you can review and rate every single one of your candidates. And it's so effective, Joe, that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate, get this, within the first day, one day, Four to five employers are getting a quality candidate right off the bat. That's incredible. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Voice of Wrestling listeners can go to uh, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And we welcome ZipRecruiter back to the fold. Too many months, but I, I get it. I get why they weren't around. But I'm glad they're back. That means that means things are are kind of getting back to normal. If we got ZipRecruiter ads going again, so it was tough times, Rich. Yeah, every every month I'd get an email and I'd go like, ah, you, you know, ZipRecruiter's probably not gonna. I was like, it's all right, I get it, I get it. But I'm glad they're back in. They they understand the importance of the voice wrestling listeners. So ZipRecruiter.com/slash VOW to post your first job for free. All right, let's talk some New Japan stuff here. Uh, real quick, as we'll kind of bounce around uh, the rest of the wrestling world over the next two hours here. Uh, six-man tournament. New Japan six-man tournament. Uh, they they ran this never-open-weight six-man tournament. We recommend they do it. 
Gato and Kadani listened. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, they had the tournament. I wish it was a little bit better. <laughs> I don't know if you watched all the matches. I did. They were fine. They weren't as fun as I had expected. But uh, the finals, I did like the final match a lot. It was Tomaru Ishii, Hiroki Goro, and Yoshihashi uh, winning the titles. They defeated their Chaos uh, stablemates, Okada, Sho, and Toriyano in the finals. Uh, and the real big news, before I kind of get your thoughts on the match itself, the real big news... Yoshihashi, after 12 years in the company, he finally has a title. And I know you have been in favor for many, many years of him not winning any titles. You've gone this far. You've gone 12 years without giving this guy a title. Why do it now? Are you okay with Tacos finally getting a title here? Oh, I don't give a shit. I mean, I would prefer... (laughs) He seems so happy. He seems so happy by it. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer if he never won a title. But, um, you know, they created a little... A little moment there. He cut the big promo after the semifinal win and to set it up. And at that point, you knew they were going to win the final once he cut that promo. So, look, you know, would he have won this title if not for COVID? Probably not. But, look, this is all that we've been asking the company to do. Get a little creative and make something out of this. And that's what they did with this tournament, with the big culmination being Yoshihashi wins his first title. So, I mean... You know, I could sit here and do shtick and be a grump about it and say that he should have never won. But um, who cares? I mean, so what? They created a nice little moment. Um, I think it's it would have been better. It would have been a more interesting kind of story if he went his entire career without ever winning a title. But is it that big of a deal? No. Uh, that's a dopey little never six-man titles. So he didn't even score the pin. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. You're right. Yeah, because it was Ishii that did the uh, the – yeah, um, he didn't score a pin. Yeah, and he's gonna, he held Okada. He held Okada from uh, breaking up the pin, though, and that—that's just as important as actually, you know, hitting the final move. So, and he's gonna get pinned when they lose him. Of so course, you know, right. it's it's uh, he's a fucking bag of socks. He sucks. He's but, not uh, very good. Yeah, this match was uh, there was a lot of fun stuff in this match. I liked I liked the match a lot because Ishii was in there and he's great. Goto was in there and he's great. Okada was was fine. I don't think he's hit his levels uh, quite yet. And show was inc- show was the star of this match. Show was incredible in this match, and Toriyano and Yoshihashi were also parts of this match as well. So, yeah, I mean, show, you know, it's it's he's a guy who I hate to call him young because he is thirty, but he doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. I mean, you compare his thirty to like Okada's how old is Okada like thirty two or something? They're roughly the same age, is my point. But you compare the tread on the tires; it's not even close. I mean, Okada has been he's had twice the career and the career mileage that show has had for two men that are real, that are, you know, for all intent and purpose, roughly the same age. Okada just does not give a fuck right now. He's got that smirk on his face all the time. He's not working hard in these no, dopey matches really and he's not going to work hard. I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's reached that point. Now you're not getting hard work in Okada every night, the way you did three, four years ago, it's over because of the wear and tear. Um, because of his status in the company, because you know, even in the midst of his big pushes, he still was humble in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of, I remember when we had Lance Archer on the show, and Okada was in his first or second title run, probably his second or third, because the first one was so short. Um, and he had noted how Okada may be the champion and being set up to be the ace, but. You'd be surprised about how he behaves and sort of the things that he still does. He didn't go into detail because that's locker room stuff that is none of our business. But you really got the impression that um, Okada 
despite the fact that he had multiple title reigns, didn't really come of age as a leader and an ace until just a few years ago. You know, because his push came so fast and so soon. Now he's got the status. He's one of the biggest stars, if not the dare I say the biggest star in the history of the company. I mean, is I mean he was on top during the best business period in the history of the company. So you could argue, at least argue that he's the biggest star in the history of New Japan. He had the uh record breaking title run. He's done everything you can do. And He's not going to work hard in these matches anymore. It's over. It's over, Rich. Right, he's and on I the know. wrong side of thirty. I, I think he's at least thirty or thirty-one at this point, maybe even a little bit older, maybe thirty-two or so. And and yeah, he's... yeah, the mileage is you know in, in you know going out there because we always remarked uh, many years ago that like you know where Tanahashi would sit on the ropes and tag in and do boom, 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 high five, flow, I'm out, thank you. Makabe doesn't even tag in sometimes. Uh, Okada would always go out there and and, and give you know. At least ninety percent effort in, in a meaningless tag match, and and you you do that every year for five, six, seven years or whatever. It's going to catch up to you at a point where I'm sure his body's hurting a little bit. I'm sure his knees are a little hurting. I'm sure his elbows and his shoulders and and all the normal wrestling you know body parts that start kind of hurting are hurting a little bit. And he's thinking, I'm not going to bust my ass in a never open weight six man match. Like you know, he was happy go lucky when they won. He was ready to put the title on, and he's ready. You know, and I'm sure when those when the moment's going to come where there's a big time match, a big time singles match. I think he's going to deliver, but it's it's he's going to be Tanahashi now. He's going to be the guy who, okay, yeah. it's G1. All right, it's Wrestle Kingdom. Okay, it's King of Pro Wrestling. It's whatever. Yeah, I'll bring my A game, but fuck, I'm not Road 2 blank. I'm not busting my ass in a random tag match on a Road 2 show. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's T-shirt Naito. Right. You know, it's, it, Naito doesn't kill himself in these matches. All these guys are banged up and, and have a ton of wear and tear. And on, on top of, you know, Okada used to work super hard in every match he was in, on top of all of the singles matches, on top of all the title matches that went – 30, 40 minutes, all the G1s, all the New Japan Cups, where this guy was going deep into all these things and main eventing and expect that's the other thing. He main evented every show he was on for like seven years. I mean, you know, yeah, always it, had the longest match, always had the biggest match, always had the, you know, the the pressure of being the last guy out there. And and and, and he always delivered, I think, on, on, on or most of the time delivered on those big moments. Yeah, and he would deliver, and and when he was in tags, he would. We always noted how hard he worked in tags compared to everyone else because he was younger than everyone else. You know, guys like Naito and Tanahashi and 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 Makabe and all they they were you know many years on him, and but now he's in that class and he's he's and all of these guys. I mean, Tanahashi is not the same. Naito is not the same anymore. Okada is not the same anymore. But the thing is, they're all such great workers and they're all so smart that you know when they have the big singles match, they're going to deliver. And they do deliver. And they and they have delivered when they're in the big singles match. And they and they will because they're, they're, they're at that point where physically none of them are what they were. But mentally, they're all so far ahead of where we talk about that sliding scale all the time. Tanahashi's been, you know, getting by on the mental aspect for years now. He's been in this mode for five years. Okay. Naito is in that mode. And now Okada is there. And I think those matches will deliver. They'll probably be less physical than they used to be, but you won't even notice because these guys are so good that you won't notice. And in the case of Naito, he'll get in there with a Bushi and they'll drop each other on their necks anyway. So it's like those guys are just crazy. But, you know, it's, it's, these guys are great workers and they're going to tone it down during shit like this. 
Right. And I, I see. I see a lot of like people throwing dirt on the grave. Oh God! It's like, dude, in January oh, he had back to back nights of incredible. The same thing with Naito. It's like, oh, this Naito guy, he might. I don't know if he's gonna last the year. And it's like, dude, in January at Wrestle Kingdom, back to back nights. Those guys both put five star matches together. Like, yeah. they just don't give a shit about a fucking ri- the New Japan Cup in front of no fans. And I don't blame them. I would. I can't. You know, certain guys can can. You know, I think LeBron has been talking about that in the NBA. Like, he can't get as motivated without the fans. Like, he's trying like hell. You know, there's no reason he shouldn't be that motivated. He's just, he's just not quite there. He just doesn't feel like he's himself yet because there's no mo- noise and there's nothing to feed off of or whatever. Some people can just kind of get in the zone and, and, and go, but, like, some people need that 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 interaction with the fans sometimes, and especially in pro wrestling. That is so much a fan-dependent, a fan-fueled, you know, sport that, like, yeah, I could totally see Okada being like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it yet. And he hasn't been anything important either. Like, you know, when, when he has a big-time G1 final match that fucking shits the bed then we'll talk and we'll say oh okada's dead and this is never gonna work anymore and this guy this kid can't work anymore and you gotta send him out to pasture or whatever but let's let's maybe slow it down on, on that so far i, I mean, don't want to hear on. it i don't want to hear it. wrestle kingdom it was seven months ago <laughs> he had two incredible matches back-to-back nights he might have had the two best matches of the year <laughs> right. on back-to-back nights they might be those matches can the be a match is so good oh my god yeah. yeah those two matches have a realistic chance of finishing one and two in the match at Airpool. Yeah, Naito and Ibushi on back-to-back nights, both easily, to me, five stars. I, I went five on both. Probably going to be in, both in our top five match of the year. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe let's slow down on the Okada's, you know, he's toast. Uh, has any, tonight, if so. anyone has earned the right to coast in these <laughs> matches that don't mean anything, I mean, what has this guy done for you for the past eight years? Eight years of busting his ass, and it's the neck, allegedly, that is what's bothering him. The last eight years, killing it. Like I said, all these G1s where he's always a factor going into the last day, always in the main events or the semi-main events. When is he lower than the semi on a G1 show? He's got to work hard and work hard. He doesn't get those eight-minute openers with Shelton Benjamin on the G1 shows, okay? He's working semi and main every night, long matches, hard physical matches, featured matches, New Japan Cups making long runs every time he's in it. All those title matches, all those title reigns, working on top, okay? And working hard in those tags every night, too, until the last six months. He's earned it, just like those other guys before him earned it. Now you've got your shows and your shingos and your and your young guys coming up who will go out there and be your workhorses in your six-man tags. It's not going to be Okada anymore. That's fine. Uh, that portion of his career is over. But, um, you know, Chaos did their big team celebration at the end. Yoshihashi with that shit-eating grin on his face. I was trying fi- to figure out a way to take a screenshot of that Chaos celebration and erase Yoshihashi from it and tweet it out. But I, <laughs> I, I, you should I have asked. I, I could have easily done that for you. So I couldn't configure it properly, and I gave up. And instead, I just threw out a lazy tweet congratulating Goto and Ishii on their great title win. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but I wanted to put that out there and kind of like a, like maybe put like a graphic over him or something. Congratulations to yeah, Chaos. I put a, yeah, I put a big text or whatever. Congrats, Chaos. Yeah, like put the Chaos logo up. over his face or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cover up the bag of socks completely, you know, even though it was really his moment, you know. Or just like Photoshop a laundry bag over his uh, over his uh, over his body. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Don't be little never six, man. 
Yeah, uh, you know what? I'm really glad. I, you know, it, it, it's something of substance. Like, I, I, I like that final match. I, the tournament itself, uh, eh, hit or miss. Like, New Japan's just not really working for me. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were good. fine. You know? I mean, I, I saw some people putting over the final. I actually thought the one semifinal was better than the final. Um, but none of them were th- matches that you need. Like, if you're listening to this and you're behind. Yeah, dude, maybe skip. watch the finals. Maybe watch the finals, maybe the semifinals. But I think if you're pressed for time, you could probably skip all of it, to be honest. So Easy skip. Yeah. So um, what else going on in New Japan? Yeah, so New Japan uh, this morning canceled a show. They were going to do a summer struggle show uh, in Uwajima, I believe is how you pronounce it. But the company... Uh, uh, minutes before the show was going to start, said that a talent who was booked for the show developed a fever, uh, and they canceled the show, and the rest of the roster went underwent uh, COVID-19 testing. We're still waiting on the results. So as of this recording, as we're recording this, on Thursday night, uh, on the you know August 13th, we don't know the results of that. We don't know if there's 20 people on the New Japan roster that are now positive for COVID. But a man, somebody developed a fever, and instead of just sort of taking them off the show like they had done prior with you know Minoru Suzuki and and I think at one point I, I forget there was a few other guys who had developed uh, fevers or had some sort of symptoms or whatever. They took them off the show and kept the show going. Uh, this time they decided to just cancel the entire show, probably because they were too close to the show or, or or they got the test results a little too late or whatever. But uh, something to monitor, something to you know keep an eye on. Um, as of right now, it, it appears to just be kind of cautionary, but you know, by tomorrow it could be half the roster has COVID. Who knows? Who the hell knows what's going to happen? So probably just because it was a house show and it didn't feel like it was important enough to. I mean, because the, the Suzuki wasn't he held off of? Uh, I don't remember what show it was. Yeah, one of the recent ones. Yeah, one of the, I think the Evil Hiromu show, whatever. I blank it on the hell. Yeah, this is a non televised little house show a little village somewhere so that probably had something to do with it too plus they're getting close to the baseball stadium show and they obviously that's the priority right right jingu they want to make sure everyone's healthy for jingu so yeah just in case let's not let's not ruin anything let's not get anybody infected let's just end the show test everybody see what we can do here so um just something to kind of keep a a, a note on because we don't know what you know is going to happen in the next few days but hopefully nothing so New Japan Cup USA is not on the run sheet because we're going to ignore my predictions from last week. That's what we're going to do. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up, but hope, I hope nobody bets the house on Joe Lance's predictions. You did say, for the record, you said you were not picking chalk. You were going to kind of go, go rogue with your picks, go wild with your picks, get the big money, make a big, you know, invest and and, and try to come out ahead. I was going to do the one to two odds and then parlay it to try to, you know. Get things going a little bit, but uh, yeah, you uh, you did not do well in the first round of New Japan Cup USA. So, yeah, all the favorites won. <laughs> Kenta v. Carl Fredericks, uh, Jeff Cobb defeated Tangaloa, David Finley defeated Chase Owens, and Tamatonga defeated Brody King. Which I I was a little surprised by Brody King losing. I will say that that was the one that surprised me. Nothing else of those results surprised me whatsoever, though. Tamatonga shaved, and it's I'm just it's so unsettling. I don't like it at all. It's so weird. It's too smooth. It's too yeah. I don't don't like it. Sorry. Uh, he he was clean shaven for years, but he's had the beard for so long that it was just startling. It's like my father always had a mustache, and when I was a little kid, and every now and then he'd shave it off. And yeah. Oh, well, my dad would too. Yeah, for like Christmas or something, he would shave it off, and I remember just I'd being be like shocked, <laughs> like my God, what happened? Like I wouldn't want to look at him. I'd be no, scared it was of him. really weird. Yeah, I, I'm right with you there. You know, and I, that's what's like. I'm scared of Tom, and I don't want to look at him. It's like a different person. Um, but yeah, so that'll move along. They're doing some tag matches on uh, New Japan Strong this week too. So, um, 
It's a nice little show to look forward to every Friday. Yeah, it's good. It wasn't great. Uh, I wouldn't say the round one of the New Japan Cup USA no. was like fantastic or like musty, you know. But I thought Kenta Carl Fredericks was solid. Uh, the rest of the matches were were there as well, but uh, yeah, I don't I liked, know. I liked Finley and Owens the best. That, yeah, that was good. That, that was good back and forth. Between I think guys. most people most people liked Tamatanga and Brody King the best, but um, and that was fine. I just I I was into Finley Owens. I thought they. Uh, there was a lot of good work in that match. The other two matches were just kind of there. Um, and again, Carl Fredericks losing means nothing. You know, he could eat a bunch of L's right now. And it looks like he will. So when they decide to pull the trigger on him, and they will, um, you know, then he'll start beating guys. But for now, you know, losing to Carl, losing to Jeff Cobb and Kenta is, is no big deal at all. Right, right. And, and the key there is that he's giving those guys, you know, runs for their money. He's showing that he is on the precipice of beating them at some point, just not ready just yet. And I, I think that's the better story to tell with him as well. There's no point, especially without knowing what the hell is is coming in the next, you know, if he can ever be in Japan for the next year or two or whatever. Um, this is a perfect time to do a slow build story with him because you just, yeah, you don't know. You might have two years until you're ready to actually use this guy um, in Japan. So, yeah, I have, I have no issues with that. But it's I think it's a great, great way to use these guys who are, who are over here. And, and I know I'm going to watch every single week and, and, and be excited. Um Every single week. So uh, this week on the show, the August 14th, you have Clark Connors and Jordan Clearwater versus Barrett Brown and Lo- Lo- uh, Logan Regal, I believe is the name uh, there. Uh, ACH, interesting enough, ACH, Alex Zane and TJP versus Blake Christian, Mysterioso and PJ Black. That is a very interesting match right there. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I think that'll be super fun. And it's great to see ACH New Japan adjacent. You know, it'd be a great landing spot for him. Really oh, I thought, I thought when, when New Japan USA got announced, I initially thought when, when ACH left WWE that that would be the perfect spot for him. Obviously, you know, the thing has happened and COVID has happened and things haven't gone quite well. But I still, my long-term prediction would be ACH links up with them in some way, shape, or form long-term. Where, you know, yeah, maybe he can still work indies, but whenever they're doing New Japan USA, it's just, it's still perform, And I think it fits his personality as well. I think, uh, you know, his, his wrestling sensibilities as well and all that sort of stuff. I think that, that just, it's a match made in heaven and I hope it, it can happen at some point. He really seemed to enjoy himself, not just in New Japan, but with Noah too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, he, he he really seemed to, and, he, and and look, the Japanese fans took to him. He was over in both companies. He was over in New Japan, so I think New Japan would be an excellent landing spot for him. It also, you know, it's it's it's. It's a change of pace, too. It gets away from the American scene. I, I just think it, you know, when things get back to normal, obviously, I think New Japan would be a great landing spot. And the fact he's working these shows is a good indication that they still have interest in him. So um, I, I think that's a good sign. And, and it, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it until the match was announced, but it, it really feels like a good fit. And they're uh, using Alex Zane again. They used Alex Zane. Yeah. Uh, what best of the uh, Super J Cup maybe or something? Yeah, I so, yeah, I forget what it was. Yeah, one of one of the USA uh, shows. The yeah, something they they, they used him in. Maybe yeah, some of those USA shows. Yeah. They're clearly they have interest in him because they keep calling him back. So yeah, yeah. Now we see Blake Christian get a shot, which I think he's got some work to do. Um, there's potential there. Obviously, there's potential there, and I, he is a guy I have to give credit. He has improved to some degree, and I think working in the strict structure of these new Japan shows is going to help a guy like Blake Christian a lot. I really don't think some of the, I'm going to beat up the Indies again, but I don't think a lot of these current us Indies are doing a lot of these wrestlers, a lot of favors 
because on a lot of these shows, for a lot of these promotions, they're just allowed to go out there and do whatever the fuck they want. Right, and you you tell a 23-year-old high flyer, hey, do whatever the hell you want, kid, just knock yourself out. You know, you get Blake Christian matches where it's just a lot of shit happens and it's like, all right, well, what, what, you know, what, 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 what's the point of any of this stuff? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be the, you know, grab a hold kid type guy, but like sometimes the Blake Christian matches, like you said, he's a 23 year old super athletic guy that can does high flying and he does literally everything he possibly can every single match, every single time out. And it's like, all right, I don't know if that's really the best way to go about it, but yeah, I, you know, it, it's one of those things where, um, when I first got tipped off to Ben Carter, I went and watched a bunch of his matches from the uh, Dylan Hales adjacent promotions, whether it was SUP wrestling or all all those promotions that Dylan Hales has his dirty mitts uh, dug into. And, you know, I'm watching all these Benjamin Carter matches and rich. What what, what really took me, what really struck me was they were all different. Like he'd work a six minute match where he was a white meat baby face. And then he'd work like a, a, a five-minute match where he gets squ- essentially gets squashed. And then maybe he's higher on the card and work like a 12-minute match where he does a lot of his flying. And I'm thinking whoever's handling Ben Carter is handling him properly because he's learning how to do everything. He's not just getting sent out there, you know, to do flippy-doos with Jordan Oliver for, you know, just ah, go out there and do what you want. Get over, kid. Right. It's – there's direction. And – as a result, that's why I think Ben Carter is ahead of some of these other guys and looks more refined as a worker because where he came up, he was doing different kinds of matches and not just – it's very easy as an indie promoter to get a guy like Ben Carter and say, what, this guy's one of the best athletes on this. Go out there and fucking – Yeah, just do, do shit. Flips. Yeah, go crazy, do shit for That's so minutes. easy to do. You know, and, and I think that's where some of these guys on the scene and some of these other places, a lot of these promotions aren't really doing them much of a favor. And and, and, and you can't really come to, down too hard on the promoters either because it's like, all right, I've been trying to book Blake Christian for the last four months. I finally got him. I'm not going to send him in there to do to sell the leg. You know, I, I want him to be Blake Christian. So I kind of get it from that perspective too. But in some of these places where these guys work every fucking month, or every time there's a show, I think that they could do a better job of having these guys work a, a, a different, a wider variety of match styles. Because it's, and, and this all circles back to my point that I think working in New Japan on these shows, you know, under Rocky Romero with Shibata on the fucking Zoom calls, overseeing everything, is going to do a guy like Blake Christian a world of good in, 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 in that structure. Where you're going out there, you're working an eight-minute six-man tag. You have a role, you know. You're not there to just do all your flips and 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 do everything possible to get yourself over. That'll be good for him. So this is a big opportunity and a big spot for him, and I think it's only going to help him improve. Yeah, just just being able to kind of like you said, we're not we're not trying to do this slow down kid, grab a hold type thing, but like you said, just getting some constructive criticism and some feedback of okay. You know, we know what you can do all the crazy stuff, but how about you have a match where you focus on this? You know, how about instead of just doing everything, let's do this in this match, and and that's good. And you, that... can, and you, and you can work your high spots into that. Right, I'm not right. saying that he doesn't have to become, you know, um, I'm trying to think of it like 1986 house show Butch Reed, where he just <laughs> right. did... which would be incredible if like Christian in a year's time is just 
just grinding matches to a fucking halt. <laughs> so yeah, and look, I like, and look, I, I like me some Butch Reed, but 1986 natural Butch Reed working the WWF house show loop was one of the laziest wrestlers you'll ever see in your life. But it's like, I'm not saying he has to be that. I'm not telling him to slap on side headlocks. You can still work your high spots into matches that have a bit more structure where you're asked to do different things. Right, That's right. what I'm saying. That's it. Yeah, just just a guy taking him to the side and saying, hey, that was good, but why don't we try this next time out? You know what? Let's let's maybe try to you know redo this or or focus on just selling your leg or just focus on – yeah, structure is yeah. good for him for sure. At, at 23 here, years here old – Here's what you're doing in this match. They're putting the heat on you. You are sell. You are Ricky Morton in this match. Right, right, right. Okay. And then next time out, you're getting the hot tag. And then the next time out, we're gonna put you out there, and you're gonna have a spot fest. That's all I'm saying. Like, do different things, and that's how these guys get better. I'm not so sure going out there on every game changer show and having the same exact scramble match is helping any of these guys get better, except maybe refining their flying. Right. Know? That's all I'm saying. Um, oh, and then also on that show, we should say uh, the other semifinal matches: David Finley, Tamatonga, Jeff Cobb versus Kenta. So, um, really excited for Jeff Cobb versus Kenta. That sounds awesome because Kenta, Kenta looks good. He uh, obviously has some home workout equipment, possibly bought from uh, my shoot job. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, we'll just say it is because uh, he looks good. He looks like in great shape, um, and, and Jeff Cobb is is awesome. So, yeah, really excited for that match. Yeah, yeah David Finley, Tamatonga. Just... Eh, we'll see. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, I we'll don't see. know. <laughs> we'll see about that know. one. Uh, G1 Climax is uh, official. Uh, we have a schedule now. Uh, it is beginning September 18th. Uh, it will culminate three consecutive nights, October 16th through October 18th. Joe, you have Saturday, September 18th, Sunday, September 19th, Wednesday, September 23rd, Thursday, September 24th. I'm not going to read them all, but it's September 18th to October 18th. So an entire 30-day span. Are you still committing to doing the Patreon episodes for these? Yes, I, I, I am. I can't believe they're doing 19 nights again with what's <laughs> going to be a very limited field. I mean, they're going to have to have some juniors in the mix. Um, I'm just looking at the schedule. It's two days in a row, two days in a row, then one day, three days. And then there's this stretch here, October 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. <laughs> Four nights in a row. My God. And then they take a day off, and then it's 10th, 11th, 13th. Oh, okay. There's a okay. The two two in a row, two in a row, and then, yeah, three straight in Sumo Hall. Yeah, it's not bad. So there, there's a – yeah, the, the Monday, October 5th from uh, uh, Takamatsu City Gymnasium all the way to October 8th at the uh, Zip Arena in Okayama. That's going to be some tough one for you, too. But you get back-to-back nights in the uh, Hiroshima Sun Plaza Hall, though. So one of your favorite venues in wrestling as we – I can't believe they're doing 19 nights again. I cannot. <laughs> I'm believe it. really surprised by that too. Yeah. And and isn't it? I don't know this if this is a fact, but isn't the G1, the Carnival, and the N1 all happening at the same time? They are very close. Yeah. This is gonna be a tough time for all wrestling. That's a it's a good uh, good part a good good uh, way to jump into uh, the Champion Carnival uh, as well as we talk about all those because we actually have blocks. Uh, for the champion can carnival, we, can as we well. confirm? Can we confirm these dates before we talk? Yeah, let, let's let's get the let's get the exact date here um, for it. So, I don't have it in front of me, but let me see if I can find the exact date for it. Because I think second. all I think all three of these tournaments overlap, and what I could do is do all of them. Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus! Why did you agree to that? No. So we got you don't the have all to Japan do this. TV. You don't have to do this. Listen, the All Japan TV, the New Japan World. Think about this. I'll subscribe. 
I'll subscribe to the DDT gimmick, and I can do all three tournaments, daily audio, all at the same time. You want to make money, Rich. For the record. <laughs> For the record, folks. Remember this. Yeah. I told him not to do this. Okay? I think I could do it. Because if I'm doing 19 do nights... It's not if you could if do doing... it, it's, it's should you do it. Oh, yeah, you want them $5 subs. Nah, Rich. That's pretty good, yeah. What spikes subscriptions the most? Well, these live event coverages, they really do. G1. G1 does. G1. Uh, Champion Carnival starts on September 12th. So, yeah, right in the piece. That's the Carnival? Yeah. Champion Carnival. So that runs, okay. And that so runs that... until, let me see, their, their website's a little tough. I'm trying to translate stuff here. Uh, that yeah. runs, I believe, until October 5th. Oh, so, uh, not too oh, much. Oh, my God. So it overlaps on, like, nine of the nights. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nights. They're going to run the same night some of those spots. Man, what an undertaking. <laughs> What about this N one? Do this. Uh, let me find out about the N one. I don't. I don't remember when. Uh, when I've said it on air. I mean, I committed. Yeah, you kind of have committed. Uh, looks like the first one is September eighteenth. So that's September eighteenth. It's smack dab in the middle. Yeah. I told you to run at the same time. I'm going to do it. Daily audio. There it all is. All three tournaments. Patreon.com/slash/VoicesWrestling. Joe will lose his mind watching hours upon hours upon hours of tournaments. But it stakes. You say you'll have nothing more than wrestling with stakes, and you'll get stakes. Uh, it's not. The, it's not even the watching. It's the coming up with takes. You gotta have takes, Rich. You can't come on the air and say that ah, was fine. You gotta have takes, and that's the exhausting part, as you well know. You know as well as anyone. But um, you can't come on here and say it was fine. This is an okay no. match. <laughs> like yeah, that, nobody cares about that. Gotta have takes. You gotta have a monologue when you come on the air and have a have a theme, right? You gotta have a theme. Then you get into the review, and you got to have takes for all the matches. A lot of work goes into this. A lot of mental work. Watching the matches is the easy part. Let me pump the brakes on it. Let me think this over. <laughs> yeah, I, why, why don't you? Why don't you take a few minutes to uh... to all three tournaments at once? That is daunting. Yeah, put it, put it in a about... list. I think you need to put it in list form, and, and just realize the the man hours necessary to watch all this. First off, you know what I'm thinking about is what a lot of these carnival and, and N1 matches are going to be number one. And quite honestly, I mean, the G1 is not going to have normal, um, you know, complement of uh, great wrestlers in it either. Cause they're going to have to dig deep. You're going to get your Yoshihashi's of the world in this thing. So um, there's going to be some slogs and I guess that's a good transition. We'll talk about these blocks now. And I guess we'll start with the carnival. It, it, it's two uh, five-person blocks. So, yeah, yeah. look, they too recognize that there's, uh, you know, circumstances here um, as far as All Japan goes. And, and Noah is doing six-person blocks for the N1. The Carnival first, the A block, we've got Suwama. Jiro getting in the uh, Carnival. Zeus, Jake Lee, and Kuma Arashi. And then the B block is Kento, Miyahara, Suji Ishikawa, Yoshitatsu, Yuma Aoyagi, and Shitero Ashino. So one end fence guy in each block. Yeah. Um, they're pretty balanced. They're pretty balanced. I think yeah, I like I, the B block's B block better. better. B block's definitely better. Yeah. Other than Yoshitatsu, I think the, the B block's pretty solid. Uh, even, with, even with Ishikawa, you know, kind of slowing down a little bit. They're, the Jiro on the A block's got me a little scared. I won't lie. I like Jiro, but, you know. 
I don't. Him and his dopey jacket, he can get lost. <laughs> like, I want I, him to be better than he is, but he's just not. The problem is I don't think he fits in all Japan where it's like serious pro wrestling. And then you have Jiro coming out to his stupid song, dancing around with a dumb <laughs> I jacket. Like song. I like the jacket, too. He should be in DDT. He should be in, um, you know, he fits better in other places. Yeah, yeah. Like, all Japan's a terrible spot for him. It's not a good fit. And, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be side-eyeing him the entire tournament. I feel like he should be in um in like 2AW teaming with Kaiji Tomato. Like that'd be a good spot. He's kind of a, he's a good shindy guy or, for sure. He's either a DDT or a shindy guy, I'd say. He can be like a super popular babyface in a small promotion. I don't think I think you put him in a big pond and not, not like all Japan is, you know. This is 1991. I get it. But even Budokan Hall here. But. but I mean even style-wise like Jiro versus Zeus. I mean, it's a weird match. Right, right. Jiro right. versus Suwama. I mean, I, he just to me sticks out like a sore thumb. I don't think all Japan's a good place for him. Um, he wanted to catch on in America. He came in for WrestleMania weekend. Um, didn't get anyone's attention over here. Then COVID happened, so now he has no home. Wrestle One's dead, and you know, all Japan's going to use him in the carnival. And I guess they figure, all right, he's a pop. You know, somewhat popular wrestler in, in some niche scenes. Um, not the worst guy to put in the thing, especially now that we are selling some tickets. But um, I'm not looking forward to his matches. I got to be honest. Um, but the B block, you've got Kento versus Aoyagi, Kento versus Ashino, Ashino versus Aoyagi, and then Suji Ishikawa, whatever he's got left in the tank against all four of those guys, against those other three guys. And I think there's some. He'll have some good matches in there. They're not all going to be. I mean, he's not what he was, but I think he'll have some good matches in there. Um. So yeah, I think B Block will produce better matches. Uh, a Block, you know, Zeus and Jake Lee will have a good match. Suwama could have good matches with those guys. Yeah. Jiro, on his best day, could have some. Arashi is a nice little dark. I don't think the gap is real wide, but I do prefer. Yeah, I, I kind of think it is pretty wide. I, I think there's really not a lot of bad matches in the B block. Maybe the Yoshitatsu ones, but even even his baseline, I think, is is, is probably better than some of those because he's going to be he in there with great workers. Too. So that's right. He's going to have four guys in there that he could rise to the occasion with. Are you a little? Oh man, you know what we missed out here? Yoshitatsu should have been in the same block as Suwama to kind of carry that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But I guess it's not a big deal. But um, quickly look at the N one because we're you know these aren't full previews here. We're just looking at the uh, yeah we got time. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it as we get closer. So Noah, a lot's been going on. I haven't watched any of it yet. We'll get to that in a second. But there's Goshiozaki, Manabu Soya, Keito Kiyomiya, Masaki Mochizuki, Masakitamiya, and Kazushi Sakuraba in Block A. A lot of variety there. Um, it's an interesting block. Let me run down uh, B block first. Kano. Nakajima, Marafuji, uh, Tanaguchi, Takashi Sagera, and Yoshiki Inamura, who's probably going to lose five matches. Um, I think I prefer. Man, this is it's tough because <laughs> there's I I, I want to say for sure a block, and then I see a name, and I'm just like, mm, I see a couple names, yeah, well, and I want to say another block. block, and then I go. Mm, <laughs> Here's the thing. The B block has Nakajima, Kano, and Sagara. 
those three guys are going to have what is that three total match? Yeah, yeah, they're gonna yeah, have like, yeah. All the matches between all three of those guys are going to fucking rock. So Inamura is just going to get beat by everybody. Marafuji is going to be hit or miss, as he always is at this stage of his career. And Tanaguchi kind of stinks, right? Maybe you get one or two decent matches out of him. The A block is a lot of different styles. Okay, you got Mochizuki and Sakuraba who are going to bring different kind of things to the table. <laughs> you got Kiyomiya. That's one way to describe it, for sure. Okay, yeah, I like B-Block, because... Because you don't have Sakuraba in it. He, he stinks. Yeah. I'm sorry. He does. Like, I want to say the A-Block, because I like Soya. I like Kiyomiya. Mochizuki. Even is fine, but the Sakuraba, that, that name takes me away I from noticed, definitively saying the A-Block. I noticed you blow right over Go. Well, we'll talk about that. I haven't seen the recent stuff, but um, the sixty-minute yeah, match is, is good. By the way, the, about the the, the Gokuno uh, match, it's good. Oh, you watched it? I did. I watched it this uh, this afternoon. It is oh, okay. it is sixty minutes, but hold that thought. Hold okay. that thought. Um, we'll we'll get to that. I we'll, um, but yeah, because of Kano, Nakajima, and Sagara all wrestling each other, I think those will be the best matches in the tournament. So I'm going to go with B block, even if you have to suffer through some Tanaguchi. I, th- I think the highs in the B block are going to be higher than the, the the A block, but I think overall the A block might have more good matches. Does that make sense? You might be right. You yeah, be I, right. I think that's the way to go. But yeah, the, the highs of the B block will, will blow away the highs of the A block for sure. Unless Marafuji decides, I really want to work hard here because then you have four guys. Right, right, right. Like Tanaguchi, forget it. He at best you're getting one or two quality match and in a more his matches are going to be structured he's going to open the show every night and he's going to lose in eight minutes and i like him but that's where he's at um and i guess his comparison point would be masa kitamiya and the other block and i like kitamiya well i like them about the same i think in is going to blow by him one day um and soya i think eh, i don't know i like watching soya but I don't know, man. I gotta go with B block because it's gonna peak. I'm gonna That's go with fair. the higher. I, I'm, I'm with you as I'm thinking about it more. Like even like Mochizuki, who I love, like he it, the highs of a Mochizuki Soya match are not gonna reach the highs of a Kano Nakajima match. You know what I mean? Like so, I, I'm with you. I think I think the A block might produce overall maybe a few more matches that I like, but I think the B block's gonna probably blow it away in terms of top tier matches. So I'm, I'm on your side there for sure. Kiyomiya, be careful. He's always better on paper. Yeah, than that's true. Yeah, he kind of stinks. He bores me to death. So. I mean, I, I like him, but he never peaks as high as I want him to peak. That's the problem. Like, he's always the guy where it's like, man, if that match was a little better, I could have. You know what I mean? It's like, it, I don't know. But um, he's a very young wrestler, and, and you know, maybe he'll have a big tournament. Um, okay, so let's transition to some of this Noah stuff. So... They had three big shows that – or three big matches, rather, that I have not gotten to yet, but I'm going to get to them this week. And I might do maybe behind the paywall stuff on them because I don't think we're going to talk about them on air next week. Kano beat Nakajima by KO to win the national title on the fourth. You did not watch that, correct? I No, I've not seen that one, no. Okay, so uh, he wins by KO. I know nothing about the match other than the result. I assume it was with that high kick that he uh, frequently knocks people out with. So looking forward to that. I heard the rest of the card stinks. On the fifth, the big match was Go Shiozaki and Marafuji, and Shiozaki retained in over 30 minutes. 
the idea of watching Goshi Ozaki and Marafuji for 30 minutes <laughs> is daunting to say the least. I'm not going to watch that match. So Now, cage match, it's an 8.67. Does that help you out a little? Uh, so the thing with Noah, and we've talked about this for, for months now, is there's a certain subsect of fans that love Noah. And all throughout the year, they've said, oh, this match rules. And I watch the match, and I'm just like, eh, it's kind of bored me to tears. It doesn't rule. Yeah, and I, just, I, don't, I can't trust people on Noah anymore. I just can't. There are certain people that I trust. They're, it's the people that drop into Noah that I'll ask them, hey, what would you think of this match? And if they say it's good, then I think, okay, it's probably good then. But there are your Noah diehards, and if they say it's good, it almost always fucking stinks, and it bores me to tears. So Did these shows have fans? Uh, ooh, I'm trying to remember now if they did or not. I actually don't remember. That's which a bad guess sign. A... It's a bad sign if you can't even remember if it had fans, because that means the fans, if they did have fans, they weren't very... Uh... Dealing with a dog sneezing in the background there. Don't don't just ignore that. You good? I like those dogs sneezing. Those yeah. um, <laughs> so like people that don't know that don't have a dog think that it's like dying. You know what I mean? You're like on a walk and they're like, oh my god, your dog! And like, hey, he's fine. You know? Okay, so big, so big uh, match. Let me, let me rub the let me rub the neck here real quick. Go on, <laughs> go on mute for a sec. You can uh, go ahead. So let's move on to the tenth, where the two big matches were: KG Muto over Kato Kiyomiya in 27 minutes. Rich, are you going to watch a 27-minute Muto match in 2020? Okay, I'm back. So sorry, which is uh, yeah. We're are you excited about a 27? Are you excited about a 27-minute KG Muto <laughs> match in the year 2020? God. Did I want to watch a 27-minute KG Muto match in 1996? So no, I don't want to watch a fucking 2020 KG Muto 27-minute match. No. Not watching now, it. Unlike unlike the goal match that's flirting with nine on cage match, this is at five point four three. Okay, good. Yeah. So so it, it might actually be good uh, then if all those people think it sucks, it might actually be good. But uh you, you maybe you could pay me to watch that match. So maybe on the paywall I would watch that match, but I'm not I'm not watching that on you know. And then a match that one reason, of us actually so. And then a match that one of us actually watched, which was the 60-minute draw between Goshi and Kano, title for title. They did not merge the titles. Um this is at nine on cage match as we speak. So you're not alone in saying that this was good. Um, did you slap stars on this? Uh, yeah, I went about four and a quarter on it, which uh, I saw some people, you know, flirting with match of the year. Uh, some people saying it is their match of the year. I've seen some fives. I've seen some. Uh, I it didn't reach that level for me. And it didn't help that I knew it was 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Maybe if you're invested oh, yeah. in it. But but you, you would even if you didn't know it was 60 minutes, five minutes into the match, you know these dudes are going 60. You know you know oh, that I feeling we always talk about? You kind of feel that. Yeah. And I will give them credit. They work their ass off. There is not a ton of downtime. It's brutal. There's almost always action going on. But it feels – it's 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it is a 60-minute match. It doesn't – I don't want to say it drags. There's some 60-minute matches where I just fucking despise it and I just want it to be over. I didn't feel that here, but I was also like, all right, we're getting there. 50 minutes. Let's go. Let's let's cut to the chase. I kind of just want to see how it ends. That's kind of where I was with that match. But otherwise, I think it was really good and, and a testament to the work. I thought Kano was really, really good in the match. And Go is, I don't know, I, I, I got a love-hate thing with Go. It's just he never reaches the highs for me. I never see much out of him. Uh, but I thought Kano, you know, these days or really ever. I mean, Go's a weird guy. Like, sometimes I watch a Go match and I'm just like, that fucking rocked. That guy rules. And then sometimes I watch it and I'm just like, what planet are you on, man? Like, let's go. Let's get some energy. Let's get some ex- excitement going here. And he just sometimes never really kind of puts it on. But uh, Kano was incredible in this match. He was really, really good. And, and again, I, good match, but strap in. It, it is all of 60 minutes for sure. Energy is a problem with him sometimes for sure. Um. But anyway, that's your uh, N1 victory block. 
blocks and your champion carnival blocks and uh, some Noah. I didn't know you watched a 60 minute match. I'm going to watch all that stuff. I think I'm going to power through it. Um, it. The problem with Noah is the no fan stuff was so dry. I mean, it was beyond dry. Oh, fucking terrible. And uh, they've also stripped um, Rene Dupree and uh, Dr. Wagner Jr., no. right? Or not Dr. El Wagner Hito. Jr. <laughs> not El Hito did Jr., yeah. Of the tag titles, because obviously they can't get into the country. So um, they have no tag champions. I don't think, unless they did a decision match on one of these shows, but I don't think they did. So they'll have to figure that out too. Okay, we got some other things to get to, and we don't have a lot of time. Yeah, WWE. Yeah. Oh, real quickly, real. I, I just wanted to jump in. Somebody in the chat reminded us of this, and we forgot to uh, mention it. But this will take like two minutes to do this. Yeah. Uh, the NWA partnership with the United Wrestling Network, which is hard to believe is a real thing, but it is a real thing. The United Wrestling Network uh, is a group of promotions: Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, Championship Wrestling from Arizona. And championship wrestling from Memphis. It's a, a David Marquez uh, group, yeah. amalgamation, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, for some reason, them and MWA are coming together. They're going to air live weekly pay-per-views on Fight TV. United Wrestling Network's primetime live. First episode is September 15th, Tuesday, September 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, I don't know about this one, Joe. Well, we talked about United Wrestling Network years ago when they formed and they were kind of doing an NWA thing where they were bringing promotions together under one banner and it was pretty ambitious sounding and it really never really got off the ground. Anything, yeah. Like you mentioned, they have sort of their three sister promotions that they have, um, Arizona, Hollywood, and what was the other one, Memphis? Uh, what was it? Uh, Memphis, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, and I think Championship Wrestling from Arizona, I think they are on the Impact Plus streaming service championship wrestling from Hollywood, of course, airs on Nesson. My DVR still picks that up. I just delete it most weeks, but <laughs> every now and then I'll give it a go. The Memphis one, I'm not familiar with at all. Now they've always kind of been loosely associated with the NWA, the, the United wrestling network groups. So this kind of makes sense. Um, but a little surprising, maybe because Lagana is not involved anymore, because he he had the in with Marquez. But I guess Corgan has forged that relationship over time as well. But yeah, the idea of weekly pay per views from these guys—I I don't know. Um, I I, I kind of see Corgan's angle because well, they haven't been running, and they missed out on you know their last pay per view was canceled because of COVID. They lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh by not running that pay-per-view and maybe this is seen as quick money. Yeah. You're well, I think at week. the end of the day, I mean, and we, we talked about this, you know, when, when the Lagana thing happened is that, you know, more than anything, he was producing, he was doing everything for NWA, yeah. everything, producing, editing, releasing the video, social media, everything that you could touch in NWA, anything that wasn't, you know, paying for it was, was Lagana. And once he's gone, it's like, okay, well, we have this thing and we have some people in this thing, but what do we do with this thing? And that's where I think the biggest value comes is that Billy needed somebody to do something with this thing, to edit, to release, to do whatever. And he found a partner here in, in United Wrestling Network. And I think Thunder Inc. or Thunder Studios is the name of the, the company that's going to be editing and, and doing all this stuff. And, and that's cool that he has that. But I think that's more than anything, they just needed somebody produced something with the property that they have. Because, yeah, you're just sitting there doing nothing without it. So Yeah, so maybe it's sort of a, well, if we do them every week, you know, we're not going to get a million people to buy these things, but we need cash flow and a cash injection. 
And I don't know what kind of shows they're going to be able to put together. And I don't know what this means for power. I don't know what any of this means yeah. until I see it's it. Very strange. And very, very strange. I'm not a big fan of championship wrestling from Hollywood. I think it's kind of a corny show. Um, you know, and it, it's not the worst marriage with the NWA because both of those shows can be a little hokey. So it's not like a styles clash. It's not like you're doing a shoot style promotion with like Chikara. It's not like both of the promotions are similar. So from that perspective, it can work. And we've seen NWA dudes go to championship wrestling from, you know, Nick Aldis has done angles mm-hmm. there. Tim Storm, right, right, right. Ricky Starks. They've sent guys there before to work matches. So it's not like this came out of left field. Um, Look, weekly pay-per-views, we know that that was attempted 20 years ago. Was that 20 years ago already by Jerry Jarrett? Yeah, oh, geez. And Fuck, how long ago was that now? Yeah, 2002, so <laughs> getting pretty close. The original incarnation of, um, you know, tits and ass wrestling. So, um, which is what that meant back then. Yes, by the yeah, way. I don't, don't think that that total nonstop action was just happened to be what they got it to. But, yeah, it was not supposed to don't, be that, so. Don't fucking cancel me. You can cancel me after we talk about RevPro. You can't cancel me yet. Um, but it's been like 20 years since the weekly pay-per-views. And, um, you know, it didn't work then. It won't work now in, in great numbers. But I don't know what the deal is. I mean, if it's low cost and low overhead. And, I, I mean, I, I don't know. When, when are they starting? Uh, it's going to be September, what was the day? Tuesday, September 15th, 9 p.m. So my point is probably no fans still, because this is California they're running these? Um, I th- uh, It says from Thunder Studios in Long Beach. So yeah, they won't they won't have fans at that point. So. Is that that little building New Japan Strong is running in? Is that, uh, the new- is that Thunder I Studios? Probably- I don't know. I'm not actually not sure if that is the same studio. It might be. I mean, either way, there's not going to be fans, because California is still a train wreck with the COVID, and they're, you know, got some of the strictest... I mean, I know this stuff changes daily, but yeah, I don't think it, you, I, I don't think California by September is going to be letting a thousand people into the Thunder Studios in, in Long Beach. So I think that's a pretty safe assumption. So, and I know that NWA was adamant about not running without fans, but again, that's when Logano was steering the ship. Right. So I don't know if there's been a you know a change of ideas or just maybe Corgan's like I have to produce some cash flow. I have to. So, or for all we know, this could have been in the hopper for a long time. Yeah, who, I, who I, knows? Yeah. I really don't know. I'm not super optimistic about it. I'll keep one eye on it. And like anything else, if it's interesting, we'll pay attention to it and we'll cover it. If it's not, we'll probably just uh, ignore it. Yeah, but, we- uh, weekly paper. I mean, w- with the amount of wrestling that you can get right now on, on national yeah. television, it's it's a tough sell to do. So, I mean, Very I wish them the best, but... I don't know when you got it, you know, <laughs> the amount of free first run content that's available, not including stuff, you know, outside of the country. And then, you know, we, you know, monthly bi-monthly shows from, from big independents. It's uh, tough sell. It's not a great sell. So, all right. Yeah. You know, as you said, we got about uh, another hour or so in the show. So let's try to get through these as, uh, as, as somewhat quickly as we can. Uh, WWE, some uh, new additions to the WWE Network uh, from their official press release. Quote, WWE has acquired content from multiple independent promotions and those shows will begin airing on the WWE Network this Saturday. Evolve, Progress Wrestling, Insane Championship Wrestling in Scotland, and WXW in Germany shows are being added to the streaming service later this week. Uh, the new content includes two best of compilations that will feature the work of WWE Champion Drew McIntyre and NXT Champion uh, Keith Lee in Evolve. The lineup. So we have the first four shows that they're going to drop. And oh, are these some shows they're going to drop? ICW, 
Shug's Hoose Party 5, Night 2, WXW Femme Fatales from 2019, WXW Ambition 11 from 2019, and Progress Wrestling's Chapter 92. Okay, Not so the, <laughs> those stink. All of those. Why well, people say the Ambition show is good. What's interesting is that's from Canada. It's not yeah. even from <laughs> It's a WXW show um, from Canada. Yeah. Do they even know that? Do you think the person that selected the show even knows that? No. Well, we can get into why they're selecting these particular shows. It's it's like most of the other content on the network. They're selecting stuff that heavily features their current WWE wrestlers. The Progress 92 show, the main event is Walter versus Ilya Dragunov. Yeah, yeah. The Ambition uh, main event is Walter versus Timothy Thatcher. So they're, I mean, th- th- they might just be scrolling. They might literally be scrolling to the main event and going, okay, yeah, those two guys, cool. <laughs> you know, done. Yeah, that's the mindset behind these selections. Um, you know, we were talking about this in the, uh, in the back at the office this afternoon, but Go look at the Smoky Mountain episodes that are on the network. They're all built around <laughs> Chris seekers. Jericho. <laughs> right, yeah. They're all Thrill Seekers episodes. Go look at some of the USWA slash whatever it's called on the network. I don't know. Um, they're all built around st- uh, stunning Steve Austin. So a lot of times when they put stuff on the network, it's built around marketable personalities that they can sell. It's all like Steve Austin, Jeff Jarrett stuff. Yeah, right, right, right. And the smoky stuff is all Christian thrill seeker stuff. And this is all, you know, this all heavily features Walter, um, you know, both the progress and WXW show that they're going with. ICW is always a very bizarre partner for WWE because it's a weird show. It's Dude, this heavily show is so bad too, you know? And it's like, I, I that was always a weird partnership that a lot of people didn't, <laughs> It's like they didn't – I don't think they researched that company before no, they went. No, that's when they were just gobbling up whatever they could because there's no reason for them to have ICW in their in their purview. Progress, of course, makes all the sense in the world that you bring progress in. WXW, I, WXW, incredible promotion, incredible stuff. Of course, you're going to try to bring them in if you can. Yeah. Evolve makes all the sense in the world. There's numerous other you know uh, European promotions at the time that I would have acquired. I never got the insane championship wrestling thing whatsoever for them. It, it makes no sense. It's a weird company. It's 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 of the shows I've seen. It's just it's not their style at all, like at all no. in any way, shape, or form. I mean, the fucking main event of this show that they're putting on the network is DCW versus Stevie Boy. Uh. <laughs> James Storm versus Ravy Davy in a Texas Death Match. I mean, they would always bring in a big name or two, and they would do good business, but it's just a weird promotion. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's the guest uh, commissioner for this night as well, so is that Which is why they picked that. Yes. <laughs> Probably. That's why they picked it. That's that's the mindset here. Yeah. You know, and the Evolve stuff are compilations. It's a best of um, Drew yeah, Galloway. Keith Lee and, and, and Drew Galloway, yeah. So, you know, they're compilations. They're not even full shows. Iron Mike Spears who is a WWN live subscriber. He's the, he's the guy. Um, <laughs> he's the one. <laughs> he's the subscriber. He noted that last week they pulled all of the Evolve and Dragon Gate USA shows from WWN live. What I took from that was not just that the stuff was, is coming, was going to be coming soon on the network, but they didn't just pull Evolve. They pulled Evolve and Dragon Gate USA. So that kind of answers a question that we talked about a few weeks ago. So you can expect to see some Dragon Gate USA stuff on the network eventually too. Um, would I just prefer if they did it like what they did with ECW and just 
put the entire Evolve slash Dragon Gate USA and Progress and WXW catalogs just on the network, just put it all on. I would, but it doesn't appear they're going to do that. They're going to slow roll it. It's going to be strategic with wrestlers that they feel like their subscriber base are familiar with, and you're just going to have to deal with it. If you were looking forward to checking out Evolve 7 on the network, it doesn't appear that's going to be the plan, at least for now. Or open the open the historic gate. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to pop on your WWE network and watch, you know, Evolve 18 and then pop over and watch, yeah, open the, you know, open the untouchable gate, <laughs> you know, 2015. I, I, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen that way. And, and, and I, you know, from the beginning, I never thought that that was really what they were going to do with the Evolve uh, or DGUSA catalogs. And there's a, re- there's a man hours reason why you're not just going to go in there and every, you know, and, and it just, just, the, just trying to get the, Evol- the entire Evolve catalog all at once is, is nearly impossible. It's just, it's not worth the fight anymore. WWE Network isn't like in a dream world. That would be what WWE Network would be for. And that'd be a great, landing spot for that but like that's just not what they're gonna do it that's not what they do anymore on the network so the evolved usa stuff yeah it's gonna be used for b-roll it's gonna be used for 24 7 slash what's it 365 i think is their gimmick or whatever it's gonna be best of compilations and then maybe you'll get a few drops here and there but to expect that you know you pop on your WWE network and there's evolve one through 190 or whatever the hell they went up to uh i just don't think that's gonna happen now or or really anytime soon and and dgusa i'd say they're gonna be even more selective with that as well, because, you know, and, and this this brought up a question that I, I was thinking about today as we saw these, you know, the names of the different companies that were up there is I wonder how much they're thinking about who is featured on these shows as well. Like you said, they're trying to feature WWE guys on the flip side. Are they looking and going, ah, main event of this is Young Bucks versus blank or yeah, Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. in the main event of this Evolve show? Do we really want to publish this one? Is this really one right. that we're going to put up? And you know, judging, I, I can't say all we know is four shows so far. Judging by the four shows they put up, I think they're being conscious about that too. Of do we want to, pu- you know, put up a progress show where Will Ospreay looks like the greatest wrestler in the fucking universe? And somebody watches and goes, ah, Will Ospreay, this guy's awesome. Where's he wrestle? Or, oh man, you know, <laughs> you know, this, you know, the Young Bucks, wow, these guys are incredible. Where do they, you know, like, I, I, I think that they have to be thinking about that. Sure. They have, yeah. I mean, that's just how the, the, the way the company operates. Yeah, I mean, especially with the AEW guys, for sure. Right. This is the first time on the uh, network, as far as I can, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time the network is would be airing stuff that would feature, heavily feature guys that are prominent figures on a competitor. Right? There's no, I mean, what other comp would there be? No, because they never had competitors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe era. TNA, but like we've even heard from people that work there that Vince never, for maybe a, a brief moment or two, considered TNA a, a threat. But pretty much from, you know, 2007 on, realize, ah, these guys don't have their shit together. I'm not worried about them too much. And even then, like, you know, think of in, in the network era, Impact was never a direct competitor with WWE, ever. So it's like, yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, we'll show the show that has one of their top guys. Who cares, you know? But now, are you going to show, you know, you know, something that features the Young Bucks? Are you going to yeah. feature something that features Kenny Omega? You know what I mean? Like, you, you got to really think about that. It's a good test because, like you said, they've never had a competitor during the network era. So it was never really consideration. They've never cared about TNA or considered them a competitor. So, and then there's also, it's like with progress. I mean, they're probably going to be real careful about featuring Jimmy Havoc and David Starr and, and people like that too. So um, I, I don't think are Havoc or star on any of these shows that they're putting up. I don't think so. Um, I can do a quick search. I think, 
thought he was on that ICW show, but maybe he maybe he was not actually. Which yeah, again, another thing that you got to be careful of when you're publishing these shows is that. Uh... Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to consider, but I, you know, I mean, obviously, I was just hoping for dumps of, you know complete libraries of shows yeah progress would be nice i I get why the evolve man hours but we heard from multiple people when i was tweeting earlier that progress has basically been ready for this for years and 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 wxw in the same breath as well somebody reached out to us and said look you know i know i know what's going on with that company i know what they've been doing and they're ready they they've cleaned up music they've got music clearance they've gotten libraries WWE knows about it those those companies are ready to go if you want to dump 2016 to the present of progress, you can do that. If you want to dump, you know, the last two years of WXW, you can do that. Um, I can't speak for ICW. I have no idea. And I know for a fact of all that's probably not prepared for, for full on dumps like that. So um, progress, progress went in and out of licensed music a couple of times. Yeah. Because I think at time that was just on the whims of Vince McMahon changing his mind, whether or not they were going to put like current shows on the network. There was a time where the idea was, like evolve and progress are going to air on the network, like as they happen. So I think during those times where they thought that was going to possibly occur, that's when they moved away from their licensed music. Um, see this, I always disagree with you on this. I really don't think the licensed music is a big a deal as you do, because uh, again, I always have to cite the ECW example. If you can scrub all of that music off of the entire history of ECW, why can't you do it for Evolve? Because why would you do it for Evolve? That's the best counter argument. Because the the idea would be ECW is a draw. People right. want to, to to pay. And a lot of that was done during the 24-7, the WWE 24-7 network, the on-demand network or whatever. So they got a jump start. Right. They, I think they've been doing that for 10 years. I think when they acquired the rights to ECW stuff and, and were doing the ECW DVD and, and, and all that sort of stuff, they were ahead of the game on that. You're you're saying now that you're getting a plastic bag with some fucking hard drives in it from Evolve and going, okay, there you go. Like, especially with the investment that they have in the network right now, which is is probably the lowest it's been since they released the network. I just don't think they want to say, hey, uh, guys, uh, here's you know a 600 hour project that we have for you. You're gonna go through every Evolve show and scrub all the audio from it. Like, I just don't know that they see the return on investment in that. Yeah. Yeah, and it sucks because I, I, I agree. I agree. If you if you just want to do the work, it's not that hard. But the it, it it's it takes time, and I don't know that the return is worth it for you know to scrub the music from Evolve forty seven so that people can go on there and watch it. You, you know what I mean? With with ECW now that they're putting up all of the quote unquote super shows in full, um, a a lot of those like almost all of those matches from Hardcore TV are now on the network twice. Because I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but all of those you know super shows that they're putting up, every three weeks they would run the arena, and the show would have a, a title, whether it was Hardcore Heaven or whatever the case, uh, Double Tables, uh, you'd go right down the list. Then they would take the matches off of those shows, and they would be the matches for the next three weeks of Hardcore TV until the next ECW house show. You see what I'm saying? So all of these ECW super shows that are going on the network, all of those – well, not all of them, but a lot of those matches are already on the network on the hardcore TVs. All you're getting with those uploads are the full shows, the matches that didn't end up on hardcore TV and some of the matches unedited as opposed to the television edits. So not only is the entire – well, nearly the entire ECW library on the network with the music scrubbed, 
It's up there twice. Right. So if they wanted to do the work, like you're saying, they could because they've done it with a much larger library. And, and they've done it twice for a much larger library. So I think you're right. I think it's just a matter of is it worth the time investment to put up the entire Evolve or even Progress library and what it would entail to take everything? Because right. If it was four or five years ago, I would say, yeah. Today, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't know what the network wants to be. Well, I think it's encouraging that the DG USA stuff got pulled from WWN because that tells us that – and that's the stuff I really want. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. You know, the Evolve stuff is, is cool too. Um, but the DG USA stuff, I, I, I would, I would like that, you know, I would love to be able to just go on the network and have all of those shows on there. It's not going to be that way probably for the foreseeable future. Maybe not years and maybe not ever, but, um, at least it's a start. When's this stuff going up? Um, yeah, who knows? I didn't see a date. Saturday, Saturday is these four and the uh, best of Drew Galloway and, and Keith Lee, but that's all I got. So yeah. slow roll. So this week Slow rollout, so I guess you can watch uh, Ambition 11 then, I guess. So that's WXW Femme Fatales 2019. So uh, that's that. Uh, in other WWE news, too, as we kind of quickly uh, go over our last few topics here, um, WWE announced this. It was yesterday, it was today, and it kind of got rumored, and then I think it officially got confirmed that they are planning on it. We'll probably get dates and, and more specifics uh, over the course of the, of the week and, and in the coming weeks, I should say. Uh, but it looks like WWE is going to move to the Amway Center in Orlando. That's where the Orlando Magic play uh, for future TV tapings. They're going to go live on TV again, so live every Monday, live every Friday, from the Amway Center in downtown Orlando, or whatever the hell they would call the downtown Orlando. I don't know. I've been to Orlando. I don't, I don't know if I call any part of Orlando downtown Orlando. But uh, they are going to play, the, uh, you know, have TV tapings from there. Not tapings, I should say. They're going to air live. And... I don't know why. I don't know why you would pay money to rent an empty basketball arena. I guess it's a Vince McMahon, we look low rent in a warehouse type thing. And if MLB and you know NBA and NHL can do it, why can't we do it? But um, yeah, they're going to pay money to rent out an empty basketball arena in hopes that well, maybe sometime they can get fans in this semi-empty I- basketball arena. So. Isn't he going to do virtual fans? Isn't he going to try to do virtual fans? Uh, I Yeah, probably. He probably Somebody showed him the NBA and he said, yeah, I want that. So... Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it seems very weird, but um, believe it or not, Joe, you, you'll be shocked to know that they uh, they used the money saved um, from not running shows, you know, because they made more money not running shows, uh, despite yeah. what the Monday Night Messiah might th- tell you. Uh, but uh, yeah, they have extra money on hand, extra cash on hand, so they can rent a fucking empty basketball arena for ton of extra weeks cash on end. So <laughs> ton of extra cash. It's on so hands. weird. It's so weird that they have extra money from not running shows because i don't know joe seth the money at messiah rollins told me the opposite so yeah yeah well, it's a team effort seth, <laughs> seth rollins doesn't listen doesn't listen to wrestlenomics i don't think no. so he doesn't understand that running tv out of the same building for months on end is actually yeah, saving not having to dollars. grab a fucking ring a truck and fill all your equipment in there and just running the same arena with all your setup already there is is, is much cheaper um and you know, yeah. transportation and all that sort of stuff but not for the money that messiah he doesn't uh, take those things into account so yeah i don't know this is a developing story so we'll see what happens but uh don't running from the amway center in orlando 
hopefully uh, moving forward. Presumably for SummerSlam as well. Because we'll, we'll, we knew and we had heard that. I mean, that had been in the rumor for, for months now is that Vince is just fucking, he does not want to have SummerSlam in the Performance Center. He tried to do something in Atlantic City. There were rumors. There was something in the Northeast. I'm sure he called everybody he could possibly call. Every favorite could call in. But apparently the Amway Center in Orlando's said, sure, we'll take your money. Yeah, he wanted, <laughs> yeah. Fan, he, he wanted fans, but he couldn't find anywhere that was going to allow right, him to put right. fans. So um, Tony Khan's putting fans in. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. Vince doesn't just fucking put people in. I, I just do the same thing. I, I, I would tend to think that, you know, Sticking in Florida is probably a uh, very conscious decision for that as well. I mean, obviously it makes sense because they're based in Orlando and the, the Orlando thing is perfect. But uh, yeah, Florida I think was a, a, a very deliberate choice to uh, pick. Listen, I'm all for sneaking fans in. I hope WWE can sneak fans in. It helps the atmosphere tremendously. So um, I don't know. Well, he wanted to sell tickets though. Is the idea <laughs> right? He hasn't been able to. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Once he cleared that with any arena in the country, they went, uh, we don't want that liability. So no, thank you. We're good. So yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, the virtual fans, can you even imagine how terrible the, the WWE is going to pull that off? Like the NBA is only barely doing it. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of it, but it's like, it's, it's almost kind of like innocuous. It's just kind of there. It's whatever Fox yeah. tried their fake, you know, AI fans in the crowd for their baseball games, and that's just ridiculous. And I remember the first night I watched the Fox thing, they the announcers were like, "Well, we're doing this fan thing, and it's not supposed to look good. Like it's kind of for fun or whatever." I was like, "Oh, you no, that's not what you guys said a week ago. You said this is gonna like make it the experience perfectly." And then immediately, first inning, they show a clip, and the announcers are just like, "Oh, look how stupid that is. Of course, it's not real. It's just kind of fun." And I was like, "Yeah, you guys knew that this sucked." They're Did they dump asses. it already? I think they already dumped it. Yeah, so. It was, I don't think they're doing it. it. I mean, terrible. I don't watch, I don't watch the national games, the national feeds, but I don't. I think they dumped it. I don't. It was think it so lasted. bad. Oh my! And it was only like I don't know. I don't know if you watched any of the games or saw any highlights. But the fake yeah. fans would only be in like one area. So they like the center field cam would show no fans. The first base cam would show no fans. The third base cam would show no fans. But if they cut to the outfield, there's an entire outfield filled with fans. So they didn't even put fans in the no. whole building. <laughs> no. And they were just like, they were like video games. They were all like getting up at the same time and cheering and like jumping. It was utterly ridiculous. And they knew it was. So they, I think they cut bait right away from that. So sounds pretty stupid. Yeah, day one's uh, fine. I don't know. Like the people sitting in their chairs, it's, it's okay. It's, it, they don't, they don't use it that much. It's not like it's a crutch that they use all the time. It's there. It's a cute little way to, you know, get your face on the game or whatever. But it's not a, 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 it's not a staple of the NBA broadcast. No, and it's only fine because of the circumstances we're in. It's utterly ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's, it's a dystopian nightmare, which is what it is, which is just like yeah. you watching this. It's just like, dear God, is this what our lives have come to? Like yeah. <laughs> just a webcam of 100 people watching this basket. It's oh, like, it's just it's creepy. It's creepy. Yeah. It's something you'd see from like a 1984, you know, movie, <laughs> you know, like a RoboCop or something like that, or Smash TV or, you know, a video game or something. It's just bizarre. I, I hate it. I, it's, it's, I know people have praised it. I can't get into the NBA games. It's weird. I, I, it's, I can't get into them. Now, with the playoffs starting, maybe I'll, it'll be different. I could not get into the, you know, the quote unquote, what were they called? The end of the regular the play season. Play in or games. Yeah. The seating I, games. The seating games. Yeah. I couldn't get into it. It was just, it was weird with the virtual fans and um, I I don't know. The playoffs, I'll probably be into it. Uh, I'll definitely be into some game sevens if we get them. But um, the stuff with no real stakes, I 
I couldn't. I don't know. I would put it on. And I tried again, and I just couldn't. It just felt weird to me. Um, you know, the baseball with no fans. I'm real used to it now. I it, I don't. Honestly, it's no different to me. I, I it, it's it's strange. I, I it's just. Uh, I don't know. It's still baseball. It, I, it, it's not. I think it's less weird without the virtual bullshit. You know, it's just I. There's no fans there. It's it, it it's not. It was weird the first couple days, but now it's not a hindrance to me at all. I've what about used uh, breaking news here? We got a playing game. You're gonna watch the Portland Memphis Grizzlies playing game on Saturday. What happened to the, what happened to the Suns? Uh, Suns are in. Suns have have stayed undefeated in the in the bubble. They are into the playoffs. So so they don't even need a play in. Now. They don't even need a play in. They're good, but they're they're the Blazers and the Grizzlies are tied, so they have a play in set. Yeah, I don't care about them. I'm into the Suns. I'm into Devin Booker. I'm into the <laughs> you've, ta- you've changed course on Devin Booker. I like it. I haven't changed course. I remember I was saying, hey, look, Devin Booker puts up these huge numbers, and you were the one poo-pooing Devin Booker, saying, ah, he's a good player on a really bad team, yes. padding his stats. Which, you know, but listen. It's <laughs> I've been right for most of the time. So it's undeniable what they're doing now. I mean, you know, they've won, what, nine in a row? Uh, in yeah, I think, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, nine or something. Undefeated in the, Who in they the play? bubble. Um, I don't, I don't know offhand. So, well, the oh, you mean, oh, you mean prob- the first round? Oh, you mean the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were like, who do they play? I think you want me to list nine games off the top of my head. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't care about that. I care yeah, about. Uh, let me see who they're against here. I, I, I forget. Are who, they uh, seated yet? Um, see, I don't know if they are yet because of the um, people are yelling at me as, as we're going on. I'm trying to figure this out as we. So they're in, but we. Or don't maybe know they're not. Who... Are they in? Maybe they're not in. Actually, hold on. A minute. They might not be in. I'm sorry. I don't think they were in. I thought. Well, people were tweeting that they were in, but I don't now. I don't know if they are. They went nine and zero, and they still didn't. They didn't, they didn't get in. Oh yeah, they didn't get in. Yeah, because the Blazers won. So. See, I think they're more interesting than the Blazers. I, Damian Lillard, I find him annoying. I don't. <laughs> you know what I find annoying about Damian? Lillard? What do you find annoying about Damian Lillard? You're going to kill me for this. You got 151 I, points in the last three games. But, yeah, what do you find annoying about Damian Lillard? He's a great player. He's a great player. Underrated player. Great player. Okay? I hate that people call him Dame. It bothers me. I hate the nickname. I hate. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah, it just it gets fine. under my skin. We all have our things. Dame. Dame. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you see Dame last about night? Dame time? Dame. You don't like Dame time? That doesn't. I hate that shit. I, 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 <laughs> now, I didn't. Now, I didn't like the Clippers mocking them the other night. I thought that was uh, uh, very Bush League. Yeah, well, that's what he's been. And then, since then, he's been fucking on fire. He's he's been inspired. Yeah, yeah he listen. That's Bush League shit. I don't like that. You know, it's it's uh, this isn't fucking Rucker Park. This isn't fucking. Uh, this isn't a, a you know a backyard game. You're a professional, okay? I don't like that stuff. And it's good. You know what? I changed my mind. I'm into the. Blue. Blazers. There it is. Because now I want because they got a they got I a chip on their Steve. shoulder. Dame said, "Put some fucking respect on my name." That's what he said the other day. And he, and he's backing it up. There it he's is. He's out there crushing. There, I converted you. There you go. Suns, they're out. Their history. Devin Booker misses the playoffs yet again. It's Dame time, Joe. Let's go. I respect that nine and zero in the bubble, though. That, that was a hell good. of a run. Yeah. Okay, with an under. Listen, they don't have the best roster either. Okay, let's be honest. It's not the ninety six okay. Bulls. No. No, it's not. Nor is it the 92-93 Suns. No, that's a great – oh, my God. Fucking Richard Very Dumas. Deep. Richard Dumas. Dan Marley. 
Cedric Sabalos ain't walking through that door. Cedric Sabalos. Danny Ainge is there, too, to latch on for one more title. It's... Tom Chambers was still on that yeah, team. Yeah, he was. That team is fucking loaded. <laughs> it's so good. It's like the greatest team ever. That never won anything. Yeah, they're like they're like 11 deep with like solid rotation players. KJ? Didn't KJ even mention KJ. Yeah, KJ was there, too. Borderline Hall of Famer. He gets named eighth. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's a fun team. You know? It's a hell of a team. Mark West. Kurt Rambis is on that team, too. Um, yes, he was. I don't think yes, he played he much. I don't think he did much, but he was just kind of there. But No, was Tim Kempton on that team? Tim Kempton was still on that team, yes. Yeah. You know that team, too? Why do I know that? Why do I know that? <laughs> we just ran off the entire roster. I do, the yeah, there can't right? be many more people. I think uh, Frank Johnson was there, and then I uh, there, Frank was there. there might be two more guys at that point that I don't even remember. I think we just named the whole I roster. Think we got Frank the full Johnson. rotation, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's... They're all good players. That's a great team. Went right down the line. Were we missing a center? No, I, we said Oliver Miller. I think we said Mark the Boyd. big O. Yeah, we got the big O in there. Got Barkley. Tom Chambers was playing center at that point yeah. in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, we said Dumas, Sabalos, uh, Marley, Frank Johnson. You, you, we went Kevin as deep Johnson. as Tim Kempton. So I think we – Tim Kempton. Tim Kempton, Frank Johnson. Yeah. Kay, we got them all. I, we got them I think all. we got it, yeah. That's That's got to be – Gerard Mustaf was on that team, maybe. Uh ooh, I don't know. That name doesn't ring a bell, but you might be right. Was he on the Knicks by then? He might have. He might have been on the Knicks. By then. I don't know. I, I don't recall off the top of my head. If I'm if I'm pulling Gerard Mustaf, <laughs> oh my, okay, one sec. I know we have a lot to talk about. Let's. You got to know now. Nin- Nineteen ninety two, ninety three. Oh, holy shit! There he is. I don't know. I don't know if he was on the team the whole year though. Maybe he got traded. He's only got seven games on the. Uh, on the ledger there, so he may have. Well, no, he just never played. He was. Yeah, and then there's something called Nigel Knight. I don't know who Nigel. Oh, Knight Nigel is. Knight. No, Nigel Knight. Yeah. Okay. Nigel Knight. We missed Nigel Knight. And yeah, Alex yeah. Strivens or whatever. He was a terrible center, right? Yeah, that. Now that's the guy we would have never got. <laughs> just like, a terrible tall white dude. <laughs> so. Now it look. We got Gerard Mustaf, which is very impressive, by the way. But I think if we held on, we would have gotten Nigel Knight. We were never getting. The guy that needed Alex Stravins or whatever, yeah. Gerard Mustaf played for the Knicks, though, right? I'm not wrong. He about played, that. he started his career in the Knicks, and then he and then he went to uh, uh, Phoenix. Yeah, he was on those Barkley teams. I think a couple of them at least. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna run down um, the list here. This is this is why you come to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast it's for the yeah. recreation of the 1992-93 Phoenix Suns roster, uh, just to show that we got it. So Charles Barkley, we got we got them all. Dan Marley, yeah. Kevin Johnson, Richard Dumas, Cedric Sabalos, Tom Chambers, Danny Ainge. Uh, what was it, Nigel Knight or Nigel Knight or whatever? Nigel Knight. Yeah. Okay, we did not get him, or I didn't get him initially, but you got he him. He played for Dayton. Nigel Knight, right? <laughs> Dude, you, you know the colleges. Uh, Dayton, good lord. How do you remember that? Come on, like, what what is that in your brain? What is coming on in your brain? But you know, that... <laughs> and Gerard Mustaf, right? <laughs> that Gerard Mustaf played for the '92 Phoenix Suns, and that Nigel Knight. How went many to college at like Dayton? <laughs> yeah, went to Dayton. I remember him at Dayton. Uh, Oliver Miller, we got Mark West, we got Gerard, Gerard Mustaf. You pulled out of your ass, which is perfect. Uh, Frank Johnson, we got Alex Trevins, we didn't get uh, Tim Kempton, Kurt Rambis. We got it. Fifteen players. We named all but two right off the bat, and then the other two we got to eventually. Or three right, of the players. We didn't, three we, we, didn't, we didn't get Alex Strivens or whatever, but we didn't care about him. So. No, we didn't get we didn't get Strivens and Nigel Knight, but we got Gerard Mustaf. Oh, that's true. You rest. did get you did get Gerard Mustaf. Yeah, before I even looked it up. I, you're right. So we got now. How many minutes did Strivens <laughs> and Nigel Knight play? Because we 
I guarantee you they played like yeah. Less than so Miguel Knight somehow played seventeen minutes on that team all year, right? Seems hard to believe. Yeah, in thirty five games, uh, fifty two games, uh, Strivens played ten games, three point five minutes. So he was, I, he was probably there just to like make sure Richard Dumas got to the bus or something. <laughs> he kind of he, he looks like the Jack Haley of the team, where it's like, all right, this guy loves cocaine, so just make sure he doesn't do cocaine, okay? Please. Well, I think Miguel Knight. The thing with Miguel, see, I'm surprised you don't remember him because I think he started a bunch of games that year. When someone, uh, somebody got hurt. Kevin Johnson, isn't that the year Kevin Johnson missed like half the year? And I then, think, yeah, 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 I think so. And I think Frank Johnson. They <laughs> Can't see. Okay, we're this discussion right now. This is this is what happened. Kevin Johnson missed like half that season, but he was back in time for the playoffs, obviously. Frank Johnson got all the minutes at point guard, but I think Nigel Knight start like Nigel Knight would start and play like six minutes, and then Frank Johnson. You see what I'm saying, right? So like Frank Johnson was really the point guard when Kevin Johnson wasn't there, but Nigel Knight was you know came out with the starting five. That that's why Nigel Knight played so many minutes. I'm almost positive. Um, now I don't know where Frank Johnson went to college. That's a little before my time, but. <laughs> I could probably nail the colleges. How many players are on this team? Please don't. <laughs> Just independently text me if you want. I can probably nail if there's 15 players. All right. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. All right. Let's go. You ready? I could probably do 10 of the colleges. Okay. Right. Go ahead. Getting the basketball reference set up. All right. We're going to start with uh easy one here, Charles Barkley. You know that one. I know that one even. So Auburn. Yeah. That's easy there. Uh, Thunder Dan Marley. Oh, Central Michigan. There you go. Central Michigan. Do you know why he's called Thunder Dan? Uh, I don't, actually. The point guard on Central Michigan was Lightning. Oh, he was the Thunder. Interesting. There you go. Tomahawk Dunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson went to Cal. He did go to Cal. Nice job. Uh, Richard Dumas, the man who enjoys the Coke. I'm going to get the stars. That's not going to be yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma State. Dumas. Oklahoma State, indeed. Nice job. Nice job there. Uh, Cedric Sabalas. Uh, he went to a weird West Coast school. He did. I, 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 do you do you need a hint or do you can you you think? No, no, no. It? Don't help me. Don't help me. It wasn't a Pac-10 school. It was one of those like. Uh, um, I'm, I I don't want to waste time. I don't, I'm not going to come up with it. Okay, it's Cal State Fullerton. Ah, fuck. You were close. You were you were in the region though. I I, I was going to give you a Cal and then let you go. So, yeah. uh, Tom Chambers, your favorite player of all time. I know you know where Tom Chambers went to high school or college. So. High school. You might know that where he went to high school, too. But... Tom Chambers was a Ute. He, went to he was Utah. a Ute. He was a Ute. Danny Ainge. Another easy one, BYU. BYU, sticking in, in, in uh, on the go. Knight, we've already, <laughs> of course, clarified Fair, uh, that. Dayton. Dayton. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Miller, I believe you screamed out Arkansas, Arkansas. while we were uh, going, so you got him. Uh, Mark West. I have no clue this Mark one's, West. You're never going to get this one in a million years. Old Dominion. You would never get Old Dominion from Mark All West, right. So. Uh, Gerard Mustaf. I don't. Do you actually know where Gerard Mustaf went to? College? Gerard Mustaf went to. He. Uh, oh, you can get this. Oh, you can get this one. ACC. Sure. I'm thinking yep. ACC. Mm-hmm. He went to NC State. Close. Red as well. He went to Maryland. Oh, that's so close. <laughs> you were so uniform. close. You had the color. You had everything going. Rich, uh, how do I know this? Uh, yeah, what a sick mind you have. What a sick mind we all have. Like uh, Frank Johnson. Frank, I don't know where he went. Also ACC. Oh, really? Uh, Frank Johnson. He didn't go to 
Duke or Carolina. No, but you're you're close. Uh, right state. Probably. Uh, I don't know, fucking. Um, fucking Wake Forest. Or Wake something. Forest. It is, indeed. Frank Johnson. I'm not gonna Wake count Forest. That. I'm not gonna count. Yeah, that, that doesn't I do. count. Yeah. Um, Alex Trevinsons, whatever. No clue. Matter. Yeah, who no cares? Clue. He went to Creighton and Colorado. He had a transfer. Probably All right. gets a playing time. Good for him. Uh, Tim Kempton. I think you know this one. Tim Kempton. Um, oh, you know this one for sure. He went to either Indiana or Notre Dame. Let me. He went to either Indiana or Notre Dame. Or, or you're going to say it's going to end up being Purdue. Watch. But no, no, you're, 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 you're correct. You're correct with the Notre one. Notre Dame. Notre Dame it is for Tim Kempton. Fuck yes. And finally, this is a tough one. Kurt Rambis. And I'm on nine, so I told you I'd get ten. <laughs> Kurt Rambis is the deciding factor. Let's do it. No, I know Kurt Rambis. Kurt Rambis. Kurt Rambis went to Santa Clara before Steve Nash. That's 10, baby. That's 10. That's Santa nice. Clara for Kurt Rambis. There you go. Woo! Rambo. Woo! Rambo went to Santa Clara. Nice That's job. That's 10. What a, what a wasted brain. Think of all the things you don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know half the wrestling shit that we talk <laughs> right. about. It's a wrestling show. Oh, well, that was a, uh, an interesting edition of the Overback Classic NBA podcast there. At Overback NBA, by the way, if you want to follow. For more, we gotta, yeah, we gotta get you on. I'm gonna get you on for an episode where it's just Rich says names and Joe just talks about them. And I blurt out the college. Let's remember, yeah. Well, we, we tend to do more NBA, but yeah, I think it's a good way to start talking about a guy too. So, because that was your heyday of like NBA watching at that time too, right? Well, like the 90s. Yeah, like well, like 92 to like 97, I think was probably your. Yes, 92, 93 is my favorite NBA season. It's a lot of people's favorite NBA season. That's a great, yeah. It's all time, all time season. Okay, it's a good season. <laughs> it's a fantastic. Season. Okay. What Same about the next year when the when the Suns lost the Rockets in the in the in the uh, semifinals? But KJ had that fucking dunk over Olajuwon. Oh, Remember yeah, that, dude? KJ, KJ is like the Russell Westbrook of of people don't know about KJ. Oh my god! Watch, what, look up Kevin Johnson dunks on YouTube, and you will be blown away by what this guy was doing in the early nineties. But don't Google his post career. No, <laughs> he's a. Uh, pretty bad human being so just yeah. accept watch the cool dunks and go wow kevin johnson that guy is good at dunking and then click out of the video and then never think of kevin Shitty johnson again. guy <laughs> right remember the wrestler right just remember the wrestler yeah separate the art from the artist uh, with kevin johnson yes. for sure our friends across the atlantic would call him a nonce yes it's <laughs> certainly that yeah he uh he would not have done well during speaking out for sure he would have no, he Definitely. was spoken out on. <laughs> yes. yes, he was one of the original spoken out of uh, many, many, Correct. many, many years ago. All right. Uh, well, hey, speaking of speaking out, let's let's do this. Rev Pro UK is back. Epic Encounters one, uh, Saturday, August twenty third uh, on Fight. Here's the card we have right now: is Robbie Axe versus True Grit, Connor Mills, uh, Kenneth Halfpenny versus Brendan White, Callum Newham, uh, or, or Callum, yeah, Callum Newham versus uh, Dan Maloney, Bobby Tyler versus Alina James, Michael Oku. And Will Ospreay versus RKJ and Kyle Fletcher. And then presumably your main event, undisputed British, British Women's Championship, Giselle Shaw versus Jamie Hayter. So uh, what do you make of RevPro UK's return? Well, RevPro's back. And a lot of people are mad, Rich. Online? Are they mad online? They're mad online. Um, they're mad for a lot of different reasons. The Grapple podcast, Benno and the boys... They broke it down very well. It was it was interesting because um, it, it really breaks down into segments. Like British wrestling Twitter is irate 
that number one, this show is happening. Number two, uh, it was taped under the cloak of darkness like weeks ago, apparently. And number three, that Willow Spray is on the show. And we'll get to all that. Um, and they are just irate. But they noted that on Facebook, the British fans are kind of like, okay, yeah, we're excited. Red Pro's going back. They also noted that they noticed that like American fans aren't really fired up or upset about this uh, much at all. So there's really like weird dividing lines of people who really the only people pissed about this are British wrestling fans on Twitter. Like that's your demo of the people who are fucking mad about this show. And they're mad about three different things when it comes to this show. And uh, they, and they are, and they aren't just that they're very angry that this show is taking place. And, uh, and when it comes to the particulars of this show, um, apparently a lot of people think that rev pro coming back before they have properly addressed speaking out is a problem. Um, I mean, I don't know what they want Rev Pro to do. I mean, the guy, you know, Andy Quinlan went and did a four-hour podcast on speaking out. I mean, what else is the guy supposed to do? Um, it's not like they've ignored it. They fired people. They fired people that were directly named in speaking out, uh, including an announcer and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know. They, um, so, I mean, you know, they haven't come up with the old code of conduct yet, which is very important to some people for some reason. To me, it's just words on a sheet. I don't know any code of conduct that's going to stop Joey Ryan from assaulting someone in a hotel room. Um, yeah. I, I don't know of any code of conduct. Yeah, that's going to make that's an after party, you know, not weird. Hey, you, here's a look. I don't need your code of conducts. I don't. I think they're nothing but PR. I think they're mostly empty words. Here's what I need: no more after parties. That's what I need. Let's start there. After parties are dead. Okay. No more merch table culture. Let's start there. Let's get rid of that. Um, you don't stand there and sell your T-shirt, okay? An employee sells of the promotion sells your T-shirt, okay? No more of that. Let's start there. Um, how about wrestlers stop uh, allowing fans to be friends with them? Uh, let's let, let's start with those things before we worry about uh, RevPro hiring some well-spoken uh, person to write up a bunch of empty platitudes for some code of con- I, I am not moved by any of these codes of conduct. They mean nothing to me. Um, I, I just I feel like they're just empty PR. Yeah, no one's beholden so, to follow them anyway. I mean, like, yeah, it it, it you know it's good to say, oh, we're gonna make sure that everyone feels fine. But like you said, once the show's over, you know, Joey Ryan can assault somebody in a hotel room, and it's like, what what is the code of conduct done for you? Means nothing. Um, so I mean, but but look, a lot of people want that. It's a good if, if it's a good outward gesture that makes people feel more comfortable. Then sure, go for it. But like, yeah, it it it's not like oh, code of conduct, cool, <laughs> sexual assault is finished where it's done never coming back because there's a code of conduct now so i listen if i'm gonna send if i'm gonna buy a wrestling ticket for my daughter or something um i don't know if a promotion putting a code of conduct on twitter is gonna make me feel better about buying that ticket is all i'm getting to me it doesn't really mean anything um but listen that you know there's some people that are wound up about that because they don't feel like rev pro has done enough to get back started um and look, a lot of the British fans are closer to this stuff, so I get it, uh, which is probably why there's that divide and the American fans are, are, aren't are nearly as outraged um, about the fact that this show is happening. I am not outraged that this show is happening, and I'm an American fan. I just – I saw them, and I said, oh, cool, Rev Pro's running again. And that tag match looks awesome, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. 
And I think it's an interesting card in that there's a lot of new names and different names. And I think that's going to happen when British wrestling comes back, you know, Rep Pro and some of the other promotions. Because so many people have been canceled and eliminated, it's going to open up spots for new people. And, and I look at this show, and there's two glaring examples. RKJ is a guy that, you know, was working undercards and who I think has a ton of potential. And here he is on this show in the semi-main event. Yeah. And let's be honest, it's really the main event. I mean, what's the ticket selling match on this show? I mean, I think Rev Pro, eh, you know, it's it's the women's championship match, so it's going to close the show, and they gave it the most prominent spot on the poster. But I think that they're, you see what I'm saying here? I mean, I think uh, you know, with uh, they knew they were going to get criticized for running to begin with, so eh, let's feature the women's match prominently. Maybe that'll quiet people down. Of course, that wasn't going to work, but I think there's a little bit of that to this because. Clearly, that tag is what's going to sell these pay-per-views. Um, you know, I, I think there's no question about that. But so, you have RKJ was working the semi-main event, but in reality, it's the main event, and he wasn't in that spot uh, previously. And the other guy I'm looking at is Dan Maloney, who, you know, was part of WWE UK, isn't anymore for for whatever reason. Is a guy who kept his nose clean, was very outspoken during Spoken Out, and. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he's a guy I think too can sort of fill some of those spots that were vacated uh, by some of the people who are gone. You know, some of the good and riddance portion of the British scene that we're never going to see again. And then some of these other names, and I'm not familiar with everybody on this show. We'll see who steps up, yeah, and takes advantage of the opportunity to fill a space. And you know, people are mad that. They don't feel like Rev Pro has done enough to earn running again. I don't. I don't agree with that. Um, they're mad that these this show and maybe some others were recorded under the cloak of darkness weeks ago when maybe it was against the law or um, not necessarily safe. Rev Pro put out in their release that there were measures taken. Again, I have to be consistent. I have no problem with AEW or WWE or any of these indies running. I don't have a problem with Rep Pro running these shows. And and whatever precautions that they claim they took, I'm okay with it. I, I, I don't get wound up with the COVID stuff. I don't know. Um, so I don't have a problem from that perspective. And the third thing that people seem to have a problem with is Willow Spray. And, I mean, we, we touched on it at the top a little bit. But I, I'm not surprised at all that he's on this show. And I never thought for a second they would strip him of this title or stop booking him. I don't think Will Ospreay or B Priestley are going to lose any bookings as a result of speaking out. That is not a value judgment for me. That is just my feeling on it. And um, I feel like um, a lot of people set themselves up for this disappointment by thinking by thinking that Will Ospreay was all of a sudden going to be erased from the scene. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, first of all, let's make it clear. He's never been accused of abuse. That's number one. Um, a lot of the people who have been accused of abuse and have uh, more solid evidence, again, we're never going to see them wrestle again, but he wasn't. His thing was a little more complicated. Um, and, and B as well. You have to tie them both in together. And, you know, they're accused of blackballing Pollyanna. Uh, Pollyanna is insistent that Willow Spray blackballed her from pro wrestling. Willow Spray denies it. Um, there is not a ton of evidence, to be completely honest, that uh, that Will Ospreay blackballed Pollyanna from pro wrestling. 
Um, there's a tiny bit of evidence involving the IWL promotion. Um, even that evidence is a bit flimsy. We know that the, the venue told the promoter that a number of wrestlers, including a number of female wrestlers, didn't want her on the show. And the promoter pulled her from the show. It's all on Twitter. We have the emails. Um, there's a paper trail. They pulled her from the show. And then the promoter, the IWL promoter claims that when speaking to the building officials that they named, that the building official named Will Spray by name as one of the people that didn't want her on the show because the guy who runs the building is friends with Will Spray. So uh, that looks very bad. So that he was named specifically as one of the people that didn't want her on the show. Um, but then the venue eventually relented and told the promoter that he had the go-ahead to book her. But by that point, he had already canceled her. And the promoter felt like, ah, you know what? I already canceled her from the show. I, I, it, it, and I understand that from that perspective. I don't blame the promoter for that. I don't even think Pollyanna blames the promoter for that. But at the end of the day, he did have the go-ahead to put her back on the show. He chose not to. And I get why he didn't. I'm not blaming him for that. And I, it was probably, you know, you're going to recontact this person again and then say, oh, well, we're going to. I, I understand why that wouldn't have happened. So outside of that incident with the IWL promotion, there is not another single shred of evidence that Will Ospreay has blackballed Pollyanna from anything. You know, Dave Meltzer contacted a number of European promotions. None of them said that Will Ospreay asked them to not book Pollyanna. Um, no other promotion has independently come forward and said that Will Ospreay told them that they should not book Pollyanna or that you know he wouldn't work their show. So all we have is the one example, which is a shaky example, where Pollyanna was cleared to work the show at the end of the day, but ultimately didn't. And if you want to blame Will Ospreay and this group of wrestlers who pressured the venue to pressure the promoter to not put her on the show in that one instance, I could see why you would do that. But there simply isn't evidence of a widespread blackballing or widespread attempted blackballing. Listen, I'm open to it. I'm open to the idea. Right. You just need a, you need a little bit more here. We need a little show bit more me something. Can I have at least, can I have at least one other promoter step up and say that this happened? I mean, none of, they all told Meltzer it wasn't true or that they weren't asked to do that. None of don't you think another promoter would have stepped up by now and corroborated this? I mean, that you know, I'm open to the idea that this happened, but I'm just not seeing the evidence is very flimsy. So looking at that, I thought all along, Willow Spray isn't gonna get in in, in is not going to uh be in hot water. He's not gonna lose bookings or have his career derailed over this. New Japan is not gonna care about this stuff. I mean, uh, it's, you know, RevPro, I didn't expect them to pull him from shows. And I think people set themselves up for that. And and I think that's adding to people's disappointment and anger because they were expecting Will Ospreay to be erased from the scene like some of right, these other right, people. Right. And then when it didn't happen, it exasperated their anger. And look, 
if you are of the belief that Will Ospreay systematically blackballed Pollyanna from pro wrestling, okay. I mean, I, I that's fine. Okay, and and I'm not saying you you shouldn't be upset that he's ultimately getting booked on this show and is going to continue to get booked in all of the places that he works. But I do think that it was a little unrealistic to expect him to be banished from wrestling and have his career ended based on the very small amount of evidence we have. This is essentially he said, she said, in terms of Pollyanna saying she's convinced that this man blackballed her from wrestling. Will Ospreay denies it, and we have very little evidence that he's lying. At least to this point, we don't. We don't have that much evidence. We have one example of one promotion where at the end of the day, they had to go ahead to book her but chose not to. And again, I'm not saying – I'm not putting anything on the promoter. He got jerked around. That promoter got a raw deal and got put in a horrible position. And I understand why he didn't book her after the building gave him the go-ahead because he had already canceled her. And who knows if she even would have – Accept reaccepted that booking. I wouldn't have blamed her if she didn't. I would have told him to go scratch too. Yeah, I did the same. But yeah, but it's like, <laughs> I would say no, I'm good. <laughs> so I get that, and maybe she really does believe. I believe that she believes that Will Ospreay has blackballed her from wrestling. You know, but I believe that Will Ospreay believes that he hasn't. And is it possible that promoters, because Will Ospreay was such a big star? felt like they shouldn't book her because they didn't want to upset Will Ospreay. That's entirely right, which possible. is 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 a different thing. You, you know what I mean? That's that's not the same as she has heat with X or whatever or or you know wrestler X has heat with wrestler Y, so we really want to book book wrestler Y, so we're not going to book wrestler X. That happens all the time. There's all the numerous time. examples of that, and that's much different than somebody being, you know, blackballed because they accuse somebody of sexual assault. That's a, a way different animal. And that's the problem right here is we, we, you know, without any evidence right now, we only see maybe the one and we, we're, we're not quite seeing the other one and, and, and not getting, you know, super upset about the one not being treated the same. You know, yeah, it, it's, if there's layers, think, there's I mean, levels to that for sure. There is. I mean, even if you think, even if Will Ospreay at the end of the day prevented Pollyanna from being booked on that one show, that's all we have, that one show. That's not a blackballing. That's one show. And we haven't had another promoter step up. We haven't had any other wrestlers step up. And again, he's a major star, and you can make the argument that maybe people don't want to step up because of that. Um, or or maybe, as I said before, promoters felt like, eh, it's in our best interest not to book Pollyanna because we don't want to upset Will. We want him to keep working our shows. And that's not Will Ospreay directly telling them not to do it, but it's Will Ospreay indirectly causing her not to be booked because he was outspoken very early on about her allegations, which was a mistake, and he shouldn't have done that. And he apologized for that, um, for putting out that tweet or whatever. Um, But he denies... That he blackballed. I I think this is a situation where both people might be telling the truth. She might genuinely believe that he systematically blackballed her from wrestling, and he might genuinely believe that he did not do that because he never had those conversations with promoters, right? 
And maybe that venue owner, you know, acted on his own, the guy that was buddies with 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 Ospreay. And, and you know, uh, but there seems to be a paper trail that a number of wrestlers didn't want her on the show. And there was heat between Pollyanna and B Priestley going back before the allegations. And then the allegations just made everything muddier when it happened to be one of Will Ospreay's buddies that was alleged to have assaulted her. So it's a big twisted, ugly mess. And, uh, you know, I don't think New Japan is going to concern themselves with this type of drama. So I think if people are hoping that Will Ospreay is not going to get booked in New Japan, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Don't even set yourself up for that. They're definitely going to book him. I'm 100% certain they're going to book him. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. And I think people just set themselves up for these disappointments, no matter where you stand. Um, even if you think I'm an asshole and I'm wrong and he clearly blackballed Pollyanna from wrestling and he's a piece of shit and, and he did it on purpose, that's fine. But what I'm saying is don't set yourself up for the disappointment because this guy is not going to get erased from the scene. I think it's very clear because I, I just don't think – and the reason I don't think he's going to get erased is because I really just don't think there's enough here. Now, next week if six promoters come forward and say – Will Ospreay threatened to never work our shows again if we booked Pollyanna. So, unfortunately, we couldn't book Pollyanna anymore because we had tickets. Okay, well then I'll listen. Now I'm on. Now I'm on team. Fuck Will Ospreay. Wipe the guy away. Get him out of the scene. But as of right now, I just I think that the evidence is a little flimsy, and I don't think it's enough to where um, you know it, it's just not enough there. I, I don't know that. That's my take on it, and I think that. I think the reason the British wrestling fans are, you know, are a little more fired up about this than everybody else is they're just closer to the scene. Yeah, it hits closer to home for it's, them. So yeah, it's closer to the scene, and you know, and I think in a lot of instances, there's a lot of people who didn't like Willow Spray to begin with, and like this is a a good, convenient thing to to pin on him to uh, to prove that these people were right and that he is a bad person. Well, see. He blackballed Pollyanna from, but, and I, and I don't know if those people are necessarily looking at all of the facts or, or 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 what's happening here, or the fact that there really isn't a ton of evidence to back up the idea that he blackballed, and he may have, but the evidence just isn't there right now, um, and I and I really don't think, um, you know, in mass, it, like you know, there's no fans, so it's hard to tell. I, I really don't think this would affect their business, Rev Pro's business, you know, booking him. Um, because I think a lot of people aren't aware of, of this type of drama, and I think a lot of people that are aware of the drama uh, might not necessarily think that it's cut and dry that he blackballed her from wrestling. Um, you know, but it's just interesting that I, I was a little surprised that people were surprised that he was on the show. I wasn't surprised at all that he was on the show. I fully expected him to be booked on RevPro shows as soon as they came back. Sure. And I saw their tweet and I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't think twice about it. And then the deluge of, of uh, you know, complaints came in and I, I was a little taken aback by it because – not because I feel like people shouldn't be upset. Again, if you if you want to be upset about this, go ahead. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't be upset about this. But I was surprised that people were surprised is basically what I'm saying. 
All right, so we are right up against the clock here. I think we're actually out of time, but I think we can go a little. You know, we we, I, we can go five minutes longer. Let's let's go a little five over here. I'm sure our, our overlords at Red Circle won't care because uh, I want to talk about the the St. Louis Anarchy Spirit of Spalding. If we don't talk about this now, unless do you want to wait till next week to give it more time? Uh we could because then we could set up the because that's the next. That's yeah, the next you know show. what? Let's do that. Let's do that. I guess you know the next show. It, yeah, you know what? That actually does work. So you know what? Instead of forcing it into five minutes. We'll, we'll 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 save it for next show because we can we can set up the B block and then talk about you know future A block matches too. So yeah, that actually works better. We'll do that. So that's it then. We're done, right? We're done. Nothing else on your mind. Anyway, uh, pa- uh, uh, patreoncom slash wrestling, of course, for our subscriber uh, level stuff. Ten dollar tier, you can listen to this live when Xfinity lets me do it live, which they did. Seemingly for the last three hours, so good for them. I'm glad. Uh, also, the five dollar tier, as you said, Joe is doing he well right now. It definitely doing the G one. <laughs> Question mark champion carnival, question mark N1 if you're going to do those as well. He's going to try to do all those uh, at the same time. But there'll be recaps of the shows as they happen. Uh, the retro content we have, November to remember. I'm doing the Boys of Summer series about Summer Slams. Uh, live reactions, instant reactions, all that sort of stuff coming up at uh, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. So a great time to subscribe. Uh, and also ziprecruiter.com slash VOW, our sponsor uh, for this episode. You uh, go to ziprecruiter.com, you can post your first job for free. ziprecruiter.com slash VOW. For Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.